Hello? <laughs> Do you, it's like you always answer like you're just like falling down. <laughs> Bumping over a bookshelf and shit's like falling everywhere. I decided to pee just a little bit more. Cuz I and then uh can you do and that? then I I knew yeah you, you can, can try you well you can um, I just when you get excited and you have to pee yeah more than usual uh, for uh, me I I always if I get really excited I have to take a shit Oh yeah I have that one that's when I get it's like when I get nervous and excited together Yeah remember doing that before skate runs Yeah but I knew it was going to start ringing when I was peeing. So that's exactly what happened. As soon as the pee started coming out of my dink. <laughs> so did you hold it or did you finish? I pushed harder and then that's when I ran and quickly like grabbed the mouse and tried to click it as soon as possible. So Shit. you wouldn't hang up. Uh, we got Jason Marshall. He's calling. Let's answer. Oh, okay. Let's do it. Okay. Um, but if I accept call, I'm wondering if it'll, he'll enter a three-way. I don't know. You can join me, though. I'll just wait. I'll just decline his call, and then I'll call him right back. Okay. Um, it, it, do, you ever, do you ever start laughing while you're peeing? It hurts. It really hurts. Because <laughs> it pushes, like, too much out. Yeah. <laughs> it hurts a lot. I haven't done that in a while, though. If someone, like, yells something from the distance... <laughs> While you're peeing? Oh, it's bad. Sneezing? Same thing. Have you ever sneezed while peeing? Oh, that's brutal. It hurts. Yeah, that's even worse. Do you do you get two-way spray ever? I have some really I have some new ones lately, like two-way spray I hate, and then there's this one that's been happening lately where it's like peeing, but then the two-way spray like dribbles underneath. And like it's like a creek that kind of just like runs off the bottom tip. It oh. doesn't spray. Yeah, weird. Can be really messy sometimes. Probably, Maybe need... probably as we get older, it'll just get messier and messier. It's like sad. It's not even <laughs> it doesn't even have force. Yeah, that dribble sounds pretty sad. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay, let's call Jason. Jason okay. Marshall. <laughs> This is going to be awesome. Yeah. Hello. So, hello. hello. Can you guys hear me? <laughs> yes, yeah. I can hear you very well. How's it going? Good. How are you? Excellent. What's oh, going on, Jason Marshall? Shit. Uh, sorry, uh, I was a little late there. I had to run to the facilities really quick. I drank a lot of coffee this morning, so. Oh, that's <laughs> fine. We were just talking yeah. about peeing, actually. <laughs> it's always so, good. Yeah. Good <laughs> talk. Peeing is always lose, good. Lose some weight. Yep. So, yeah, Joey's with us. Yeah, I have a bunch. I'm really excited for this one because I didn't realize when I was going back through all the Jason Marshall sections, pretty much you're a very quiet influence over skating. You're not mentioned enough, but you there's a lot of shit that you did, uh, especially, like, did you do the first heel roll on tape? Yeah, as far as I know in Kamloops, that was the first heel roll that we saw. Yeah, that's. Uh, I think that was in VG4 in the San Francisco section. It was down the uh, Kink Ledge at Embarcadero. Um, as far as I know, I mean, me, Eric Burke, and uh, Robin Collins, we were always talking about it, and we, we were always trying to find the right way to do it to make it actually look somewhat decent. 
And, you know, at the time, nobody was doing it. I mean, everybody kind of talked about it. We saw dancers kind of doing the two, the two, like the heel and the toe roll. And um, what it was for me is I saw, I was skating in Barcadero, and on that ledge I saw professional skateboarder Mike Carroll um, basically roll it. And then he went up and he uh, he manualed it, and I was like, wow, that, that looks really good. I'm going to try that. And so I was just messing around. And that day that we filmed that for VG4, I was just messing around. And so as far as I know, that was the first one on film that may have been the first one of that length. But shortly after that, we, we really got into it, and we were doing them fakie and, you know, just kind of trying to tweak it and make it look good. And it, it's something that never really took off that we just like to play around with. So, Well, I just remember that one. It's quite a timeless heel roll because it was so fast and it looked so good. Do you remember that heel roll, Todd? I do. It was amazing. Yeah, it was just so fast. That was like probably one of the best, <laughs> like just straight up heel rolls ever in a video. Yeah, I like it still just think so good. The filming and and the pants. You had really good pants. Oh shit! <laughs> it was to that Sublime song. Damn. Um, I. Can I just go ahead and ask a question, Todd? Oh, Joe, you can do whatever the fuck you want. Oh, shit. <laughs> um, that made me think of uh, the music always in your sections. Did you choose, because just off the top of my head, the Gangstar song in VG4, Souls of Mischief in FOR, and the DJ Shadow song in uh, Transcend, you always had, like, really classic songs. Did you, is that what you listened to at that time, or did you work <laughs> with the video producer, or was that just a fluke? That's, you know what, it's half fluke and half planned. I mean, that's kind of one of the funniest things about me and rollerblading is um, um, the only one that that it was actually chosen was 93 to infinity. And it was because Dave Payne made a funny comment. He told me, you know what, you have such a hip hop style because he was asking me for VG4 what kind of music I liked. And, you know, I, I, I liked heavy metal and I liked uh, punk, but I, I had this what he called an embarcadero hip hop style. And so a lot of these songs that were chosen for me, it was basically looking at what song would mesh good with the type of style and skating that I did. And so, you know, what's funny is you, you look at my, my iPod and the music that I listen to, and I have a ton of hip hop, but there's a lot of punk and a lot of heavy metal on there too. So, um, it was almost like this, this planned, this planned integration of music into my skating to make it what it was. But um, I was, I'm very happy with it. I mean, I, I listen to hip-hop every day still. Just the other day, Kato gave me a, uh, a remix of the uh, um, Far Side and uh, Tribe Call Quest. Oh, shit. So, um, yeah, there's, there's still, still an influence in my life. But, um, I mean, I'm, I'm probably more of like a punk heavy metal guy, to be honest with you. Wow, because, yeah, um, you, you look back on your skating and it was definitely like a smooth... People had kind of like a quote-unquote hip-hop style, but um, yours was so unique. Like when you imagine your skating back in Transcend, it was always very smooth, not a lot of arm waving. Um, your safety grabs were really good. A lot of people uh, say John Elliott when they say safety grabs, but Todd, remember those safety grabs? Really nice. Really, really nice, nice grabs. I remember one trick I, I always remember was in VG4, the, the Macchio to Fakey. <laughs> it made me. It, I remember so many times, like I'd be skating a ledge, and I would channel that trick, and I would just try to copy it, like just the way you came out, like in, like fakey, uh, what is that, in spin fakey out, just really nonchalantly. Yeah. I loved that trick. Oh, That's yeah. kind of funny. Somebody told me that the other day. We were at Woodward, uh, Woodward West for AIL, and somebody mentioned that little line, and I, I had to go back and look at it because it's been so long that I've seen anything like that. And you know, it was, it was 
it was funny. And looking back at all the skating that we did back then at EMB, there's there's a lot of stuff that other people did too that um, I don't want to say they didn't get credit for, but there's a lot of stuff that was subtly overlooked, like those really small details, you know, the the spins in and spins out that, um, you know, it, it almost it was almost bred at Embarcadero, some of these things. And so it's really interesting to see. We were watching the uh, um, some of the Broscow stuff the other day, and it was really cool because you kind of see some of that stuff that maybe Rob, Rob G did or maybe Eric Burke did back in the day, but they put this whole new twist on it and just make it look so much better. But it's really cool to see, like, the evolution of what happened at some of these locations early on in, in rollerblading and seeing where they are now. It's just it's mind-boggling, but it's, it's really cool. Definitely that uh, fish guys two edit have is that what you were talking about a little bit or have yeah, you seen we that were, edit? We watched that over and over last night. It's it's amazing. Um, I really get the feel of some of those. Yeah, what you were saying, some of those uh, style influences, but taken to a new level um, in that edit. It's cool that skating's come full circle that way. Definitely. I think. And, I, uh, oh, so I uh, I just. Me and Mason went through this phase where we'd, we would only watch uh, old school videos, like to get excited before skating. And we wouldn't watch anything modern. I remember skating being really fun because of it, because like you would get into that kind of old school perception of things. And you could, it was easy to channel joy in like really s- simple things. Yeah, when, when, uh, out Something filming. about those old videos. It's remember we would reference once in a while, like someone you wouldn't be able to really get a trick and be like, okay, just do this line like you're in One Nation, and then yeah. you'd be like, oh yeah, okay, I get it. That was the one section actually that I'm pretty sure all of your shit is online except I couldn't find One Nation online. You know what? I have a, a box of DVDs. I was gonna I was gonna rip and and put them online. I'll see if I have that one in there because uh, I, I I tried to search for some of my stuff just to show my wife because she didn't realize I did all these these things and it was in videos and magazines and I, I lost most of the media that I had all the daily breads and box magazines and um, I'll see if I have that one but I to be honest with you I don't even remember filming for that I don't remember being in it I don't remember what took place it was so long ago <laughs> <laughs> I think the only thing that I remember that was the it was the was the highlight trick I remember the section being good and it was maybe to like a soul song but you uh, did I think a back torque in k2s on a double rail or something and uh, uh see, I, I don't even remember that <laughs> i don't even know how how could you do uh do you remember torques being hard in k2s nobody could yeah. really torque in k2s yeah and what's we had this long conversation at woodward about torques and like where it came from how it originated and it, it a lot of it came from uh crooked grinds and skateboarding and just being at a barcadero and watching guys like eric costin and what it was was one day it was again me eric burke and robin collins were talking about it and the only feasible way to do it on a K2 was to actually tilt it at a, almost like a 20-degree angle off of a Macchio. So you would hit the toe cap because that was the hardest piece of plastic on the skate. You know, It was a really soft piece in the middle. If you tried to slide it there, it wasn't going to slide, especially on ledges. So it was almost like a crooked Macchio. Oh, wow. Yeah, I've never thought yeah. of it that way. Yeah, and it was just to catch that hard piece of plastic. And, I mean, if you look at skates now, it's, you know, when I came back into skating last year, me doing a torque grind was the weirdest thing in the world because it had to get completely sideways on the ledge. And I still wanted to do that, that angled facing forward, you know, position. And it was just really awkward. Yeah. Um, I was going to ask you because this is probably the biggest word that I attached to your skating. Well, there's smooth, 
but backslides Jason Marshall. Dude backslid a kink in VG4, Joey. Oh, shit. (laughs) (laughs) And really, really nice backslides. Like, if you want to reference a backslide, that picture of you, uh, it's on your Facebook, actually. That backslide picture on that longer rail, um, was it in San Jose? It was the same. Matt Andrews was gapping over it on the cover of Daily Bread. Yeah. Um, that is such a textbook backslide. Can you can you backslide like that in modern skates though? That's what I wanted to ask. Yeah. Um, well, well, I appreciate it. But um, <laughs> the, the funny thing is, when I first came back into skating, the first pair of skates I got were the the Rollerblade Urban skates because I figured, you know, I'm too old to grind or do anything. I'm just going to cruise. And then I bought the uh, the whole plates for it, and I started doing Machios and playing around. Then I got some ground control frames, started doing Royales and stuff, and I noticed that like the the plastic is so hard and slick that it's really hard to to hold on and so then i went from rollerblade to shadows and shadows i could kind of do backslides and i i ended up hurting my my ankle really bad so i couldn't do uh um just like a standard backslide i had to learn switch and so the last couple of weeks my ankles healed and i started doing backslides again on now i have the the rems the hr 1.2s and i can actually do them just like i did back in the day because that backslide plate it's a little bit softer yeah. And so I can actually hold them again. And so it's it, it's been kind of a weird transition of finding the skate that really matches your style and the tricks that you do. And with those those new HRs, man, they, they just hold so well. And with the uh, the backslide groove matched up to the, the frame groove, it just fits. It's perfect. Definitely. So for, yeah, for backslides, it's that's probably the best skate. Do you skate those cuffless? Did you take the cuffs off of those? I did. And then um, I was jumping off stairs just trying to get back into gaps a little bit at the park and i noticed that i, I didn't have the ankles to do that anymore and so oh I yeah had to cuff back on if you were to just roll around like uh and let the there's weird ankle muscles that have to build back up but at least you still got the v cut and i agree i've tried other skates and i kind of lose backslides um yeah it's, it's interesting to think of how the the technology kind of informs the way tricks are done it is, but it, it's for the better. And the, the one thing that I wish people would really do, and you're starting to see this resurgence of uh, older guys like myself coming back in, and um, I, I think that's chiefly because of uh, Bo putting together the OG reunion, which is probably the single best thing that's happened in the last five years. Um, if people would go back to to the original makes, I mean, you have like the classic K2s that everybody loved. And for me, if Kato would put out that original version 2 rem, the one that had the really large heel plate. Oh, I think fuck, that would, yeah. That would attract so many of the old guys back into it because, I mean, you know, you look at us, you know, most of us are in our 30s and when we come back, we see all this new stuff and it freaks us out because we don't know what to purchase and it's just, it, it's a different sport altogether. But if you have some of these older skates, and I think K2 did a really good job of keeping their classic their classic line, they just added the sole plate onto it, but that might actually help attract more of the older guys back in. But, yeah. I mean, for me, that skate, that version 2 REM skate, that was probably the best skate ever. Yeah. I, I don't even like talking about it because I get too worked up. I actually yeah. – uh, <laughs> and I, I think Kato, does he, does he not like hearing it? Like did you, did you talk to him about it? I think he gets messages <laughs> maybe daily from people all around the world about, <laughs> about that skate. Because uh, I was the first – he lost money on – on the pair that he sent to me in Canada and I got rems because of, um, I kept rewinding your section in transcend where you had the rems trying to like figure out 
how they would feel just based on some of the, the tricks that were in that video. And to this day, I haven't progressed as much in a skate as I had in those ones. They felt um, the interlaces and the way that they fit on the foot. I just remember it was the closest thing to, to shoes with wheels attached to them. Yeah. It, and they it wasn't. looked so sick. Yeah, they were just, they, they flowed so well. It, it's like they were made for your foot. And, you know, he calls it the freedom of feet. But it, it's the only skate, I mean, especially at the time, that was made from the ground up, that was made for what we do. And if you look at most of the skates today, I mean, you have these, these skates that are skins where they're basically, you know, classic boots with a skin over it. And, you know, aside from the shadow, I mean, what else is there that was really made from the ground up like that? And if you look at all the first that came from REMS, the V-cut, you know, the hybrid skin with the skeleton on the inside. I mean, there's so many firsts with that skate that it it basically revolutionized the entire sport. And people don't really realize that. But if you take a step back into like 1999, 2000, and if you remember what skates look like, I mean, there was the one TRS that came out that looked like a shoe. But that was kind of based off of the concept from REMS. And then shortly after that, you see, you know, Razor's putting out like a V-cuff and then all these other companies. But for for what we do, that skate, I, I look at that skate as kind of like the, uh, it's almost like the vans of rollerblade. I mean, it's the one skate that changed everything that, you know, you can do every trick in it, which is really weird to me because, you know, most skates you put them on and, you know, this, this skate has like a certain trick vocabulary. You know, you're not going to be able to do backslides, but you can do torques. And that was the one skate where, like you said, like you could just do tricks. Your vocabulary just increased like overnight. And so, like I... I, that's why I kind of wish it would come back because I want to give it a try. I want to, I don't want it to be that candy from my childhood where, you know, it was the best candy in the world. Then I try it again when I'm 30 and it tastes like garbage. You know, I, I want it. I want to make sure it's still that skate. And that's kind of what bugs me about it. And I'm always talking to Kato about it. And, you know, I, I do bring it up every now and then, but, um, like the, the likelihood of them really bringing it back, I, I don't really know what it is, but, uh, I, I don't think they have the molds for it anymore, but it would be great to see that skate pop up again. I agree. Even if uh, even if you could figure out a way to like get an old one and take it to like some bootmaker or something and be like, "Can you make this for me? Can you can you remake this somehow?" Um, I I totally agree with you that I remember being out skating in that skate and going for certain tricks that I remember. I would slip out on other boots and I would surprise myself at like what I would land or even. Uh, comfortable being comfortable in the air on those skates. Normally, yeah. if I would flail out on certain things, at the V cut really accentuated um, personal style. I think that would that would be one thing if that was like uh, available for more people. They'd be surprised at how unique their style would be in that skate. Because uh, and some of the best, biggest tricks have been done in those skates too surprisingly everyone talks about ankle support but i mean chris Haffey seven fakey seven that massive double set yeah that's, that's something that's really overlooked i never really thought about that but yeah you're right and carlos um oh don't even talk about carlos <laughs> <laughs> so that first pair of rems in transcend was that i think okay so you did the first heel roll and i think that was the first time rems were were actually seen on video as well, right? How did you get that pair? Because that was before the gray and black ones came out. Yeah, that um, that that was 
pretty interesting how that unfolded because it was right before we were still filming Transcend, and I want to say this was late '98. And um, I was hanging out with, actually, I was living with Bo. Um, they basically kidnapped me from my house to shoot Transcend, and I, I basically left one night telling my parents I was going to be back the next day, and ended up not calling them for a month. I moved down with Bo, and um, yeah, they were pretty upset about that. <laughs> and <laughs> hey, so you're coming back? Uh, what can we are we gonna we're gonna change your room into an office? But. Um, <laughs> So I get down in there. We're spending every day at Daily Bread, you know, because Bo's uh, filming this video for them. And um, Angie tells us, hey, uh, Kato's here from France. He's living in a van. And we're like, well, that's kind of weird. And so he he comes one day. And the van, it it literally looks like a frat party ended the night before. I mean, there's shit everywhere. I mean, it looked like a, a skate a skate company just exploded in there. There was materials all over the place. He only had, I think, one pair of skates made. And uh, Angie was telling me, you know, you're, you're between sponsors right now. I was between K2 and talking to people at USD about getting just stuff on flow. She's like, you know, Kato's got REMS. He doesn't really have any riders. Maybe he'd give you a pair of skates. And uh, I, I told her, you know what? I already saw him down in the van, and he's already making a pair for me. And so um, <laughs> what's interesting is, I think it was at the 1996 trade show out in Chicago, the, uh, what is it, the RSA? Oh, and, yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, I was skating the mini ramp with uh, Dave Payne and Ryan Zlocky, and then John Julio runs over, hey, Marshall, you have to see Kato. You have to go to the out booth. Um, tell him you want to see the secret skate. And so I was like, you know, what is this all about? So I run over there, and I'm like, hey, uh, um, I think it was Alquist and um, – uh, Toto. I was like, hey, Toto, where's Kato? And he was like in the back. They had like a curtain pulled out in front so you couldn't see what was in the back. And Kato brings me back there and he shows me this skate and it's just the boot. And it was a very compact, light boot. And I, I hadn't seen anything like it before. It actually looked like the uh, the Air Jordan. I think it's the number 12. So that's what the outline actually reminds me of. And so I'm holding this skate and I look, I remember this. I remember looking up at Kato saying, what is this? <laughs> I just I, I couldn't believe what I was holding it. I mean, it almost looked like a quad skate, but it was just so much cooler. And I, I kept asking, you know, when is this coming out? When is this coming out? When can I get a pair? And he didn't really speak very good English. And I just remember him saying things like soon, very soon, very soon. And so that was in like 96, 97. So you can, you can imagine the excitement when I actually saw him in his van in 1998, you know, and I, I was pleading for a pair of skates and he was really cool about it. He put a pair together for me. And, um, you know, it was probably one of the, the best, the best gifts I'd ever been, uh, I, I've ever received was that pair of skates because I, I feel like in, in that pair of skates, I really found myself, like I found the one thing that I was really waiting for. Cause if you, if you look at my career and you look at all the different skate manufacturers I was riding, I mean, I bounced around a lot because I didn't know what really fit my style. I mean, everything felt very, very false to me. And so putting those skates on the way that I explain it to people is like, I, I, I'm home, you know, it's, it's where I'm supposed to be. And so even when I came back into skating and I was riding shadows and uh, rollerblades, it just didn't feel natural. And so, wow. I really relate to that, that story a lot. Cause I, even, um, I've tried other skates and, and even though the, the current REMs aren't, don't feel a lot like those old ones. It's still the closest I can get to that, to that ankle movement that I really love and the, and the toe pointing. Um, did that pair that you got, did that not have the heel plates on it? Was that just the toe cap or what was the sole system like on that? 
first pair. Yeah. That's uh okay, so the original pair that I had, it had like that little it was almost like a quarter of an inch um heel cap. I don't know if anybody remembers that, but it it basically formed to the the skate. So it was this really thin little cap that was only about I'd say three or four inches long that went up to that plastic cap that made the uh the side cap of the skate, the toe cap. And it basically popped off. And so you'd have to put that on and then mount your frame on because it held the uh the frame held the sole plate in place. And um the cool thing about that heel cup is it was it was positioned perfectly for SAS slides. And so I remember that skate being the best skate for Sasslide just because of the heel cup, but it was this little flimsy piece of plastic. And I remember, you know, when I came from San, uh, San Diego, I moved back up to San Francisco and I went to, uh, to Ezekiel's. He had this skate park up in, in Santa Rosa and we were always there. And he, he took a look at it and he said, you know what, this whole, this whole skate is really cool. But the mounting of this, it doesn't really line up with uh, how the, the frames were made. So if you remember the frames, they were really narrowed down by the first two wheels, and then they kind of went up almost like a, a heel lift. Yeah. And so what he did was he, he wanted to make the skate level um, for soles. And so he basically took a piece, a piece of UHMW and carved out a heel plate that kind of sat in there and actually lowered the sole space down to be level with the toe portion of the sole space. And so I actually have a picture on my Facebook. I'm doing like a negative porn star. And it's the best shot of that that heel plate. And um, it, I don't know if they actually began producing that after seeing that shot. But I remember 50-50 or somebody else coming with something similar for that skate. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like the so it was like a pre-juice system type thing. Yeah. And it actually, the I think. Juice ended up creating the uh, the toe portion of it, the mounting system, when UFS became popular. I loved the um, – my first pair was the black and red, and the sole system on those was, like, really great size. The angled heel on the back was amazing for locking, and they were fast. But they were – once you got used to the – how fast they were on ledges, they were perfect. Like, it was such a good material. Um, yeah. And it was a big change, too, from K2. I mean, that, that molded plastic that uh, was injection molded, it, it has a very different feel. It, um, you know, I, I like UHMW. I like those 616 plates. I want to try them out. But it, uh, it, <laughs> it, it's a, it lends to a different type of skating. And so it's, we were talking about this the other day. Is, uh, you know, there's all these different skate manufacturers and all these different types of skates. And the one thing that I keep coming back to is I, I think there's only one skate that's right for everybody, for, for each individual person. And um, I, I don't think I, – I, I think these materials that we're using, I think it's great. I think it's fun to play around with. But maybe it's age. I keep coming back to this softer plastic. I think it's, uh, you know, it's, it's ingrained in my skating, and you know, it's, I'm going to keep coming back to it. I even thought about trying like the old K2s and uh, just – you know, trying to learn backslides on those again. And uh, I think there's a market for that. I think that, you know, we keep coming up with these these new materials and these new products, but I, I still think there's a market for, like, the really soft, gummy material for older people. And uh, oh, I don't want to say older people, but some of the OGs. Oh, I totally yeah, agree. I, I agree, totally too. Agree. And there's so many tricks that are only possible with that softer plastic. Yeah, like uh, uh, backsliding kink rails. <laughs> yeah. Unities are a little bit oh, easier than rails. Definitely, a lot um, of stuff, and that's the slower sliding on rails is. It's it's interesting that a lot of like, not many people say that. Not not many people say like, oh, we should make a 
a softer plastic, but it's very obvious. I think a lot of people would be down with that. Or would I think that. in the future, or um, if if there's more money in skating, I think the idea of uh, different different hardnesses of of parts would be amazing. Is if you could buy different plastics, like even for rims right now, if you could get different hardnesses of uh, soles and backslides, be interesting to to try that out. And one thing I was thinking of was um, how much timeless skating went down in skates like K2 or or Solomon or the first rims that um, there's just really specifically great skating done in those in very those skates. Stylish. Yeah, very stylish. Uh, there is something about, you know, smaller soles, backslide being softer and closer to the foot that it it informs good style a lot of the time. I mean, big soles, I don't I don't really need big soles on my skates and I, I it it doesn't really make that much of a difference for me. That was a big thing about Shadows. Is I loved the way the skate felt, but um, the soles were so big. They don't need yeah. to be that big. They definitely yeah. don't need to be that big. And in a lot of ways, like it makes tricks easier and it makes style worse. Like a lot of, like it makes royales so easy. Like, do you remember in old skates? Like it took me so long to learn how to royale. It was so hard because you really had to exaggerate that body movement to get down on the boot. And now it just seems like people can do royales so easy that they don't need to exaggerate their body as much. That's so yeah. true. What's, what's really interesting is, um, you know, when you go to the park and you watch people skate, um, Bill Hedrick made a comment to me when I, when I first came back, he's like, you know what? It's, it's so interesting. All the OGs have like this very particular style and, and, and I love it. And what it is, is it's, it's that over-exaggeration that you're talking about. I mean, even like a soul grind, if you remember learning souls, we had to, like the term we used was we had to bone our soul, our soul foot, our knee over the rail just to stay locked in. And what it was is basically taking your, your, soul, uh, your soul foot, that knee, and basically rolling it over the rail about a half a foot. And, you know, with those really large sole plates like you're talking about, I mean, you can literally just stand straight up away from the ledge and you're stuck on it. You're not getting off, which is really cool because, you know, 33 years old, I want things to be easy. And so it's, you know, the transition of being, you know, this uh, 15, 16-year-old professional rollerblader to this washed-up, you know, old has-been that's in his late or mid-30s, you know, it's uh, it's made it fun. And so going to the skate the skate park and seeing these kids that can just do every trick it's not like before where we had to learn front sides first and then transition to a soul grind you know these guys are learning alley-oop soles tts's and it's it's that large size of that soul and i i think it has a place in skating i think it's um when you see these evolutionary steps in in the products like when you're talking about going from rems then to a shadow you typically see this huge burst in new tricks and new abilities and I, I kind of embrace it. I, I like that new aspect of it. But with, with, with the style, it's almost like you're sacrificing style for, uh, you know, for, for the ability. Yeah. And seeing people do royales in particular, um, you, you almost see these these kids standing straight up. I mean, their legs are almost locked, and they're doing a royale. And it's kind of it's mind-boggling. You look at that, and you think how long it took you, like you said, to learn how to do Royale. I mean, we had to basically take a file to our frame and get that groove down. So the distance between the, the bottom of the frame and the boot was, you know, it was a lot lower. So it was easier to get down. And, um, I, I think it has its place. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to knock it, but I, I think, um, 
I think that's what really separates the professionals from the AMs and the AMs from everybody else is that level of style. You know, we have these products now that you can do almost anything in, but what really separates people is the style and how big they go with it. And so I, I appreciate it in that sense. Um, on that note, who are some people that you, uh, that you've been connecting with, like watching sections or, or edits or anything, who are some people whose style that you really like? recently uh there's so many but i have to say right now my my favorite skater right now is probably ian mcleod oh shit he's uh he's always under the radar yeah could he, he's could he be maybe one of the best the the greatest uh grind like he figured out some kind of secret for grinding <laughs> Yeah, I don't know what it is, but that kid can do everything. And it's I, I watch him over and over again because I was such a, a big ledge skater. I mean, that's what I did. And, you know, seeing what he does, it's it's to me, it's it's everything that I ever wanted to do. And this kid does it like it's like it it's a part of him. Like he never has to think about it. And to me, it's, just, it's the coolest thing watching him skate. And I, I go through his sections over and over again. But um, he is you know, I, I really know. good. <laughs> yeah. And he's, it reminds me of uh, yourself that like your name doesn't get mentioned enough for how influential I think you were for style and Ian McLeod's kind of the same thing. He just doesn't get mentioned as much as you think he would. Yeah, and I, I it's kind of funny, but you know, I, he's out there. I mean, he's he's doing a lot of stuff. He's constantly in edits, and you're right, he doesn't really. Being somebody now who's coming back into it, who who was there and seeing where he is, I, I think he definitely deserves a lot more. But I, I just I can't stop watching this kid skate. Like that's what gets me pumped to go skate. And I was watching Ian McLeod, and it's the funniest thing because I'm this 33 year old dude, and I'm watching this guy that's in his like what is he probably 24, 25, and I'm like, that's that's what I want to be when I grow up. And it's just hilarious. <laughs> he, he's got to be he's got to be up there, Ian McLeod. I. Isn't he older than 24, 25? I would oh. think he's he's closer to 30. Well, wasn't he really – he was younger when he got on Deshi. I guess he was, so. He was a lot younger. so And that wasn't that long ago, I don't think. Hmm. I don't know. I don't know. Um, Jason, is there – there's like a lost era kind of, of of footage of you where I think after after Transcend – did you have any sections? I can't. There's FOR. Was there anything after FOR that I'm missing? Um, so Transcend actually came after FOR. And here's something oh. not a lot of people know is after FOR, I, uh, I had a girlfriend back in D.C. And I ended up quitting skating um, probably a few months after that. So when I moved back to California and Bo contacted me and he wanted to, to do a section with me and transcend. I had already quit skating. I had, hadn't been skating for almost nine months. And um, I, I wasn't really too happy about wanting to do a section because I, I knew I was going to have to get back and train and get back with it. And um, so that was like 98, the end of 98 into 99. And so after that, I mean, when transcend was done, I moved back to San Francisco with my parents to go back to college. And I, I basically – and this is the biggest thing that I regret is not only quitting skating but taking a pair of those version 2 rems and throwing them in the garbage. That that just breaks my heart knowing that I did that because um, I, I basically walked away from skating. I mean I had so much angst and so many things that happened to me that it was just uh, – it, it was needed 
for me to separate myself completely from it. But, you know, on the, the other end of the coin, it's, it's also what brought me back. And if you look at all the things that I'm trying to do with all these companies now, um, it, it's very fitting. But, you know, after 1999, you, you probably won't find anything of me because I, I didn't even own a pair of skates. So d- tell, us, um, tell us what led to your decision to, to quit skating and to throw those rems in the garbage. Yeah, I was I was getting hurt a lot, but um, I, I think being down at Daily Bread and seeing how the industry really operated, because you know I was a skater, I wanted skater-owned companies. I, I felt that that's that's what was going to help us move forward. And seeing all these companies that just uh, that were led by people that didn't skate, it was a, a huge huge deterrent to me. And I, I think being that involved with it at that young of an age, I, I think it was really bad for me. Knowing my personality and, and my traits, it just it it didn't match very well and so you know seeing all these company owners that just really didn't skate i i couldn't get on board with it i didn't like it and i think uh being around that so much so frequently i think it just really it, it built up on my shoulders to the point where I, I it was really easy for me to walk away you know I, I looked at it as an industry that was it was a fraud and uh you know aside from Arlo and all those guys that were still running companies, I just, I, I saw those companies even being owned by like Bravo and, and these huge corporations. And I just, I, I didn't, I didn't like it one bit. And I think that's what, what led to the decision. Interesting. Wow. wow. And so how long were you kind of uh, out of skating and, and what brought you back? So I think it was 2008. I was living in Denver. I was doing a contract for work and, uh, through that that whole time span from 99 on uh kato was constantly trying to get me back on skates and uh i mean his logic was right it was basically you know you old guys need to come back and skate just show up at the skate park and give these kids hope that you know you can still skate into your 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 older years and uh and they need to see that they need to see guys that are part of the industry because it'll get them hyped up and i i didn't really see it until recently but in 2008 he sent me a pair of skates Gave me Brian Aragon's phone number and said, hey, call this dude. He lives near you. I had no idea who he was. And so I, I give him a call, and we talked for a few seconds. And I was like, all right, this, this guy seems pretty cool. Maybe I'll go skate with him and hang out. And I look, up, I look him up online, and I'm like, what the fuck? Are you serious? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go skating after not skating for 10 years with this guy? And I was like, what is he trying to do to me? Is he trying to force me into a deeper hole and not want to skate ever again? And so – you know, I'm watching this kid for like 20 minutes, and I look over at my wife, and I'm like, "Is Kato stupid? Does he think <laughs> I'm going to want to go skate for my first time with this guy?" <laughs> and so, uh, I put the skates on. I went to the they have a Woodward Park there at the mall in uh, in Denver, and so I just kind of dinked around. And you know, the coolest part of that was uh, it'd been 10 years since I skated, and I picked it back up pretty fast and i was hanging out with all the kids at the skate park and what was interesting is all these kids were like yeah you got to come here more you know my, my mom will pay you for uh for sessions to teach me how to skate and i thought it was funny because i'm hanging out with you know at the time i was like 28 29 i'm gonna hang out with a bunch of 12 year olds and i was like this is what my skating career has basically come to you know <laughs> teach kids how to do soul grinds on like a little ankle high curb and uh no, it was, it was a little depressing, and so I, I was pretty busy with work, and so I skated about four times, hung it back up. And then this past year, actually it was around uh, Thanksgiving last year in 2011, um, one of my really old skating buddies from Northern California, I found out that he moved like not even 20 minutes away from me. 
And so we just started talking about skating, you know, back in the day, all the fun that we had and, um, and how funny it would be if we actually went out and started skating again, this guy, Brian Nixon. And, uh, so I went out and I bought those urban skates just to kind of play around. And, um, so when I, when I finally purchased all the other gear, like the, uh, I bought some Joey Chase frames and the, the sole plates and we go to the skate park and I'm just miserable. I can't do anything. There's a bunch of skateboarders. There's scooter kids just all over the place getting in the way. And I'm like, you know what? Fuck this. This is stupid. What am I doing? I'm 32 years old and I'm fighting with scooter kids that are like 10 just to, to get a run. <laughs> Falling all over the place and it's just miserable. And as I leave, I see a rollerblader. I'm like, no way. So I'm like just kind of watching him for a few seconds, go over and I talk to him. And uh, it's this guy that I hang out with all the time, Estevan, and uh, I, I actually credit him to me rollerblading again. And so uh, he's skating with this other guy that they call old school Carlos. And so I'm just talking to them, and they basically tell me that there's actually a lot of guys out here where I live that skate. And so I thought, oh, you know what? That's pretty cool. And so I, I go to another skate park with him a few more times, and it just builds up into this 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 desire just to want to skate again. And it was just unbelievable how much I missed it and how much I love it. And, you know, I, I attribute these two guys, old school Carlos and Esteban, for getting me back into skating. And then, you know, it's just one thing led to another. I started contacting all the people that, that you know, used to skate from back in the day. Bo Coddington set up the OG Bladers group on Facebook. And it was just this constant reconnecting with people from back in the day, talking about, you know, all the stories that we had, you know, all the skate sessions that took place and all the videos and stuff. And so it was kind of like this snowball effect of, you know, slowly getting back into it to the point where we're at the point socially where we, we picked up where we all left off. And so, you know, all those connections were back. We were all skating again. And then shortly after starting skating again in November, I think it was like around February, I don't know if you guys remember Dave Cardoza and Manuel Cruz, but they were at the very first NIS in 94. Yeah. And uh, I guess Kato told Manuel that I was living out here. And um, so he tells Dave, and they, they couldn't believe it. What? Jason Marshall's living like 20 minutes from us? we got to hang out. And so this is where it gets really interesting. So I start hanging out with Dave and Manuel at the tattoo shop all the time because they have a mini ramp in the back. And I find out that uh, Dave Cardoza is really into uh, web design and he's a graphic artist. And so we start talking about all these things that, you know, we should do, things that we can attribute back to the sport. And one thing led to another. And, um, you know, it's just it, – it's amazing how long you can be disconnected from these people but how fast you can get reconnected and even be more connected to them at the same time. So it's 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 been really cool this last year. But – I still don't have my legs back. You know, I, I got injured shortly after I started. I hurt my left ankle really bad trying to do a kind grind. And so I think like the last couple of weeks I've, I've been wanting to skate more and get really back into it. And so, you know, these, these next couple of months that come up into the winter and into the summer are going to be a lot of fun for me. Wow. I love hearing those stories about, you know, how people got back into skating. And it, it always it's always related to a couple people who – kept doing it through the years and then connecting back through there. Um, what I wanted to ask you next about was, uh, so Dave Cardoza taught, is that the one where it said Dave, Dave section got cut short due to a broken leg or a broken, broken arm, arm or whatever? <laughs> yeah. <Broken arm. laughs> what is that? Yeah. One nation. One nation. 
Dave's section yeah. had to be cut short due to a broken arm. It was so <laughs> badass. It was like, yeah. was it to a Metallica song or something? Yeah, it was to a really heavy song. It, and it he, was one of those sections that just made you giggle. It was like really <laughs> funny. He had like a really hardcore style. Yeah, <laughs> he did. <laughs> yeah, he was a, uh, and he could skateboard really well. Yeah, he was good at skateboarding. So he's, he brought. He's some, gonna. He's gonna hate me saying this, but he was actually a professional skateboarder for twenty years. Really? Yeah. For twenty years. Yeah, he uh, he rode for Vans. He rode for Acme. He's actually got a pro model deck from Acme. Wow, yeah. that's super cool. Yeah, so he, uh, he he quit skateboarding to rollerblade because it was a lot funner. Became a professional rollerblader, and then when blading dropped down again in the late nineties, he went back to being a professional skateboarder. Holy crap! <laughs> so so is he like still really into it? Like, if I search Dave Cardoza, will I see like some some skateboarding sections? I don't think so, but. Um... You know what? I'll, I'll have to look at that. I'll email you guys if I can find anything because he had a little a little uh, section that he sent to me that was really good. And I, I want to say it was after one of his really bad injuries in 2002, 2003. And when he – it was basically like his comeback little – his edit that he did at uh, the Van Skate Park. But um, he's a ripper, man. Like he, he gets back on the skateboard after not riding for a long time and it's like he never he never left. I mean it's wow. it's amazing and he's 40, 41 right now. So yeah. He's got skills. How old? So in One Nation, he was he was older than if he was a pro skateboarder. Then went to rollerblading and back to skateboarding. Was he an older guy back then for rollerblading? Yeah, I mean he's always been an old fart. I mean, <laughs> ninety four. He was telling me this story that you know he was already eighteen and drinking and doing all this other stuff when this ninety four took place i I think he the story he told me like his girlfriend or wife at the time was having a baby and so you know she was giving birth and he's skating the contest but it's (laughs) but what's funny is like he (laughs) he has this youthful spirit i mean like he doesn't seem like he's 41 years old at all i mean like i I look at him and i'm like this guy he's like 25 i mean it's it's amazing like you know even his skating you know he just has this youthful look and personality that you know, if you get to say that the guy's 40 years old, it just doesn't register to me. There, there's been times where I've come back from a good session of skating and my girlfriend's been like, wow, you look like way lighter. That just like there's a glow that happens sometimes after a good session of skating. It's definitely one of the links into the fountain of youth, I think, it these is. activities. And I think that's why a lot of people are starting to get that connection back to it and that desire. So how many people do you think just from what you know, um, and through the, the, the reunion, how many people have gotten back into skating just even in the past few years? Quite a bit. Um, the, the one person I'm probably the happiest about is Billy Prislin. Oh shit. Yeah. He, um, I'm, I'm actually, I need to go out and film him for, for hammer. But, uh, we, uh, we were talking back and forth on Facebook and when I saw him at the reunion, it was kind of funny cause I looked at him and you know, he put on some weight and that's the main reason I got back into skating was to lose weight. And so I, I shed a lot of pounds and like, I feel bad. I walked over to him and I was like, Hey, uh, he changed a little bit and I patted him on the stomach <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and I told him, you know, don't worry. I was in the same boat a few months ago, you know, skating really helps with that. And, and just seeing him on Facebook, just getting really back into it because, um, the way that I, I look at him and his skating, he was kind of like that next step after my generation. 
And for him to have a Gangstar song too for his mini profilers profile on VG, it was kind of like I felt connected to him in this weird little musical sense almost. <laughs> and so, you know, when when Gangstar and all that, when when he died, you know, I basically on the the anniversary of his death, I basically sent him a message: Hey, from one from one Gangstar dude to another, you know, take it easy <laughs> <laughs> or something like that. But um. <laughs> Like just to see him skating again is just—it's it, awesome. But I mean, a lot of the, a lot of the what I consider the second or third generation guys like Matt Andrews and uh, and Roadhouse, seeing them skate again, you know, this past weekend and hanging out with them, it's just really good. I mean, and, and what's interesting is you definitely see this huge gap in the skating between people today in our generation. I mean, we're, we were we weren't centric around or centered around grinding. I mean, it was a lot of errors and. We, we basically prided ourselves in being well-balanced. <clears throat> and so seeing everybody skate together and, and knowing that more people are going to come back, it's very refreshing. And, uh, I mean, just I, I wish you guys would have gone to AIL this weekend and seen all the old-school guys that were out there skating because it was so much fun. And just seeing how positive it is, it's just – it's amazing. And, you know, I don't care who comes back. If everyone comes back, it's going to be great. But even if just one or two of these old school guys come back, like I'm just I'm I'm thrilled because it reminds me of that 1994, 1995 feel where, you know, we might be learning tricks again and it has that fun sense to it. But, you know, I guess to answer your question, I go on tangents every now and then. But Billy Prislin is probably the probably the best seeing him skate again. Oh, I love the tangents. Rob G yeah, said okay. almost the exact same thing that that you did on on the other podcast. That uh, that there's certain people that you skate with that it's like it's like a time machine that that it brings you back to that that very specific feeling that you had that yeah. made skating fun. Hey guys, I'm just gonna go take a shit. So you guys keep talking. I'll be right back. <laughs> okay, cool. Okay. Drop, okay. drop the kids off at the pool. <laughs> um, I was gonna ask you, did you skate flat most of your your skating time? I was really hoping you guys weren't going to bring this up. Oh, shit. Uh, I uh, I gave so many people a hard time about riding anti-rocker. <laughs> and, I mean, like, even publicly, I think in my, my Box Magazine interview, I was actually giving Roadhouse a hard time in it for riding anti-rocker. <laughs> I haven't ridden flat since 1998. <laughs> really? So when you got yeah. back, you, you didn't do uh, eight down? I did on 80 mil wheels with the power blade set up, but, um, you know, my grinders, I, I put, I have the Jeff Dallas wheels front and back and I got those 616, uh, UHMW wheels in the middle. And so you haven't tried it apart from the 80 millimeter wheels. Uh, you know what? I, I have a set that, um, I'm a little leery to try it again just because, uh, you know, it's, it, I'm still learning. And I'm, yeah. I'm trying to do it in these these baby steps where I'm I'm trying to get myself to that point. So I think probably summer 2013 I'll probably be riding flat again. <laughs> so you were known as a flat Nazi back then. I don't remember that. I was I was a huge flat Nazi. Did you do, would you uh, do it in person to people? Would you make jokes and stuff at sessions? Oh yeah, or? yeah. I'd, I'd really? talk to people about it. Yeah, <laughs> I was really bad about that. Do you remember any other flat Nazis from that that era of skating? I think champion was for a while champion, <laughs> but I mean, I was, I think I was the one person that was just really willing to fall on my sword to say that, you know what? Anna rocker is cheating. I didn't really see the utility in it at the time. Yeah. And 
a lot of that was because all we did was scale ledges. And so it, it took a different skill level to, to grind ledges flat. I mean, if you look at the hardware we were using, it was near impossible for certain size wheels. But um, in retrospect, I, I see the utility now. And I think a lot of that came from I, I have a, a really big surfing background. And so understanding that you need different equipment for different terrain, I think it really helped me think differently while I'm skating. And so, you know, in retrospect, you know, I was the, I was the flat Nazi, but now I understand the need for it. So you know, it's, maybe I'm just getting old and, you know, I have a kid now and, you know, I'm trying to be nice to everybody and, you know, <laughs> maybe that's all it is. <laughs> so when you said companies that you're going to be involved with or that you are involved with, do you want to talk a little bit about that? Do you have some stuff going on? Yeah, I'll throw some uh, some shameless plugs in. Um, <laughs> I think uh, in, about a year ago, when I when I first started skating again, I knew I wanted to do something. And uh, looking at the state of the industry, I didn't want to just jump in and say, "Okay, I'm going to start a wheel company." I know there's all these other wheel companies out there already. What am I going to do that's so different that these guys aren't already doing? And so it, it took a lot of thinking, and it, this actually took place over two years, not really one. And it's you know how how can I help? How can I help with one of these attributes to help inline skating or aggressive skating get back on track? Because there's so many things that went wrong. You know what can I really provide or or, or help bring to the table? And so, at first we were going to start. I'm just going to call it Company B. We were going to start Company B. It was going to be new. We thought it was going to be so different, revolutionary, that nobody had done anything that you know, Company B was doing. And you know a lot of our our, the wind came out of our sails and we realized everyone else is already doing this. And so for me, the last couple of years, I, I'm more interested in bringing new people and old people back into it because to be honest with you, these guys should be making half a million dollars to a million dollars a year. Like Chris Haffey and Aragon, those, those are million dollar dudes. There's, there's no denying that. And so seeing the state of the, the inline economy and where it is today, I, I'm so focused on bringing more people into it. And so the easiest thing for us to do right off the bat was, you know, there's guys like me that are coming back. And I look at the industry, I look at the products, the soft goods and the hard goods, and there's nothing I can relate to. And it's not because I don't like the products and I don't like the packaging and the marketing. It's because I'm older. And so, I, you know, I'm already set in my ways. I, I remember how things were and I want to reminisce. That's why I'm coming back into skating is because of the fun that I had and everything that was associated in that timeline. And to come back and, and not really have that, it's it's a deterrent. A lot of people have a hard time wanting to fully engulf themselves into something that's so old but so new at the same time that it's uh, it's a little disorienting. And so, you know, we, we sat, we thought long and hard, and Dave and uh, Dane Cooper Smith and I, we said, well, you know what, what was the coolest thing back in the day for us? For me, the only clothes that I would wear was Rise Above. I would not wear anything else. <laughs> and uh, I got in a lot of trouble for that. And so, you know, I, I was skating for Senate. I had all these other sponsors, and they're like, hey, you go to these events, you're not wearing anything. You're wearing either a Gap shirt or a Rise Above shirt, and even in ads. And I was like, well, you guys don't make anything I like. You know, I came from like a surfing and skateboarding background, and everything was cool. And this stuff isn't really cool. And so the whole idea behind Rise Above was, you know, people that come back, and we expect to lose a lot of money off Rise Above. There's no doubt about that. But what we're thinking is if people come back, and they have something familiar, it'll be easier to position them to buy something. They'll say, okay, well, I already bought this Rise Above sweatshirt and this T-shirt. 
I might as well buy a pair of skates. I'm just going to try it. And so it's kind of this, uh, this, this marketing thing to entice people to come back. And so, you know, that's rise above. And, um, not a lot of people know this, but it's me, Dave Cardoza and Dayton Cooper Smith that are, that are doing that. And, uh, it's a lot of fun. We're, we're having a, we're trying to reconcile where we want the brand to go and where the brand should be. And so, you know, we're, we're trying to keep it original with a lot of the same attributes with bringing something a little bit new to it. And, uh, you're going to see it really progress over the next two or three years. But at first we're going to keep it, you know, near what it was just because we want to draw those new people, the, the old people back into it. But, who, um, who originally owned rise above? Uh, it was a skateboarder and a surfer. I, I remember Greg Cherry. I don't remember if he was the surfer or the skateboarder, but it wasn't later owned. And uh, so when <laughs> this is another funny thing, when no we wonder it was so cool. Fuck. Exactly. Anyways, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, and that's what's funny about it now is like Dave's a skateboarder and I'm a surfer, so it's kind of like the same thing. And you know, Dayton, you know, he was always a rollerblader or a BMXer, and so when I look at clothes it's hard not to look at those other industries and see how cool they are. And so it's not that we're going to copy and model that, but we're going to try and bring that same element back into it because I mean, the product that's out there right now, it's, 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 it's focusing on a very niche market and um, the brand rise above itself doesn't really match that market. So it would be really stupid for us to come back and, you know, make a company that, that didn't match the original branding of the company. So it'd be like if, if Vans or Volcom went out of business and then 15 years later they come back and they look completely different, you know, that's, that's basically marketing suicide. And so we're always going to have this classic line, but there's a few new things that we kind of want to, we want to play around with and bring to the table. So that should be pretty interesting. That's very I always, exciting. Uh, Rise Above always had the coolest fucking ads. <laughs> they stood, they stood out. They, you wanted to have a rise above shirt because of just based on the ads alone. So who it was the skateboarder and, and surfer dude that designed those or who designed those original ads? Yeah. I mean, they, the two of them designed those ads and, um, that, that's been a huge topic that we've been discussing is, you know, do we, do we stick to the original, the original tone of the ad? And the question is, yes, they're, they're going to be subtly different, but I mean, you're going to see all the binge drinking and the drug use and all the same stuff that was in there before. Um, you know, it may change over time, but you know, with what skating is right now, I mean, that's what it is. Big party. That's what got us all into it. We, I was watching baking cookies when I was a kid and I saw those guys drinking and partying with strippers. And that's what I wanted to do when I was, you know, 14, 15 years old. I couldn't wait till I was 18 to, to have a stripper come over. That's what and, I still uh, want to do. You, you know, <laughs> it's like that fun element. That's, that's why we skated was not just because of how fun skating was, but it was the party afterwards that took place. And so <laughs> trying to basically in, encapsulate all that together in an ad is something that we're, we're going to focus on to make it fun. I mean... I, I like seeing the stuff that goes on behind the scenes. And one of the comments I made after hanging out with uh, JC and Haffy a couple weeks ago is I feel like I don't know anybody. And I don't know if that's a problem because of media isn't really projecting the things that go on. But, um, you know, some of these ads that we're going to do with our riders, it's going to show what they do. And you're going to get to know them and it's going to be more intimate through these ads. And it's going to have that same impact that the original Rise Above had. Can you announce the team? <laughs> um you're gonna know in probably two or three weeks but we've already got four people oh, and we are shit. very pleased 
uh, with these four people. And, um, and what's kind of funny is we had a couple of them actually kind of approach us. And what was funny is they were on the list of names that we wanted on the team. <laughs> wow. And so, yeah, it's pretty amazing. Don't let us down. That original Rise Above team. Holy shit. Yeah. Next, the first the first rider actually made a comment that he feels bad because he knows he has uh, some big shoes to fill. But, uh, you know, all it's that really takes is a bottle of Jack and uh, a pound of weed, you know. <laughs> I got to pee quickly, so uh, um, I'm You're breaking up. up a little bit. Okay. Oh, okay. Um, so let's take a, a short break. Jason, can you uh, can you still hang out for a little bit more? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, yeah, let's take a quick break. I'll call you back in about five minutes. All right. Sounds good. Okay. All right. Bye. Hello. Hello. What is up? Hello. Is this a break or are we still going? Um, I think the break just ended. Oh, is Jason here? <laughs> no. No, no, no. You just called me. <laughs> Are you okay? What? I, I, uh, I started breaking up and then I had to pee. So I'm back now. Cool. Um, yeah, we just took a break. Oh, okay, cool. Um, uh, so, so we'll just call him back. This is a really good one. I know. Holy shit. This is getting it, me so excited. About it's uh, I, uh, Yeah, I'm just getting way too stoked. It's weird. It makes you think of that like... Um, that the things that are important aren't in the past. They're, all, they're just always there. Yep. Anyways. Very interesting. Yeah, this is very exciting. Let's call them up. I love those little questions and, and things that, that really spark stories, you know? Yeah. Yellow. Yo, what Hello? up, Jason? So we, we're back from the break. Um, can Between the three of us, would we be able to list off... Or actually, Jason, do you remember the the Rise Above team before, back way back when? Um, the the only way I'm going to be able to to go through the list is remembering the parties that took place at the fifty fifty house. Because <laughs> I never really the only ad that I had up on my wall because that's what everybody did, right? You cut the pictures out of Daily Bread and Box and put them on your wall. Yeah. Was the one of TJ Weber just standing there looking up at the camera with the green Rise Above shirt. <laughs> oh, fuck. I bought that shirt, I think, because of that ad. <laughs> <laughs> but here's, here's how I'm going to start is the original three, which were Dayton Cooper Smith, um, uh, Dave, uh, oh, my God, I forget his last name. Dave from New York, Ortega, <laughs> Ortega. Ortega, Ryan Jacklin. Those were the three originals. And then after that came on uh, Champion, Matt Andrews, uh, myself, Shane Saviors. And that's where I'm going to have a block. And Ryan. Tom Heiser was one of the original too. Ryan Jacklin? Or was... Ryan, Ryan. Jacklin was so fucking sick. <laughs> Yeah, those spins are timeless. Oh man, his misties. I loved. Uh, yeah. I loved some free advice, where it was just like slow motion misties for a whole section. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> what a great idea! Oh yeah, what when an you... awesome section. People just doing misties. <laughs> oh, the Roy- it... that, that video makes me want to do royales too. Oh yeah. Was he? Uh, was it VG? 
was it VG2 or uh, bottom line where he was doing fakie sevens on stairs or forward sevens? Oh, fuck. That's a good question. Yeah, um, I think it was the first. I should know that, but I don't. Did he do a really sick one in VG3 as well, possibly? Did, yeah, did he, he did do, like, rocket or something? Yeah, he did a couple of them. He did the fakie rocket one over the uh, the ASA box, that pyramid-looking thing. And then um, I guess uh, there was that skate park by the bridge in New York where he did another one that was really sick with that uh, the hip-hop song. I forget the name of it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, his forward 720s were really nice. And yeah. sevens. I'm, I, never mind. I think I was thinking of Dave Ortega does like a rocket 540 over a wall or something like that in, in VG3. That was yeah, really- he did that on the banks over the uh, the cement divider. Rockets. What happened to that trick? You don't see rocket 540s, do you? <laughs> uh, I don't know. I'm not going to answer that one. Oh. <laughs> like no, a, I think it- but if Broskow did a really nice rocket fakie seven, everyone would do it. Should it just get is, sell it not to everybody? Broskow. Should do it. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Actually, you're right. The 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 weird uh, some tricks work for some people. Like uh, yeah. like what's your what's your take on Mizu's? Um, <laughs> if it's, if it's shot at the right angle. <laughs> It really depends. I think uh, the problem is everybody wants that as like a crotch shot. So they get up in there and it's like all you see is the dangle. You don't really see the trick. And um, with the second project I'm working on, I don't know if you guys have heard about the Hammer Magazine. It's the um, the digital magazine, the iPad, iPhone app that we're doing. Cool. Oh, that's you're doing that. Yeah. Awesome. And um, the the most difficult thing that we're, we realized right out of the gate, and I literally have a list of tricks that look good at certain angles in which – angles they don't look good and they're crossed out and what's funny is I, I kind of went back into the vault to like all the old skateboarding videos that i used to watch and they did the same thing like around the bones brigade areas their their photographers basically looked at every picture and they said okay these tricks can only be shot this way and daily bread johnny donho he used to do the same thing and i didn't realize it at the time but there's certain tricks like a mizu that do not look good in certain positions <laughs> and so it's really Really knowing the angle and the lighting and, and where to take it from. Yeah, there is something about um, so Johnny Donahue, um, Jess Deer and Forth. Fuck, Ryan was Ryan Shude. I'm trying to f- think of all the old photographers. Those old Daily Breads really nailed some of the like soul and spirit of skating in some of those pictures. How close they were and where the angle was. Jess Deer and Forth, especially like his photography. He just knows how skating feels when you look at his pictures so can you list any other tricks on on top of mizu what are some other tricks that that are very dangerous angle wise uh definitely makios and um i i think all the mizu tricks i think like you know the mesh trousers are really difficult because you look more like a cowboy than somebody with legs wide open That, that arcing shape of your legs when you're doing a mistrial of like a cowboy you know, riding a horse. Yeah, it, you know what's funny is we went shooting with Happy last weekend and, and he was doing a mistrials and um, Dave Cardoza took a shot that it's the funniest shot in the world and it's never going to be released. And it's like this total like it looks like 
it looks literally looks like you're riding a horse with no horse there. It's like you're sitting there with your feet together, crouched down. And it's sad because it's everybody who does that trick looks the same way from that angle. And, um, you know, Machios is a, another really hard one because it's, it's such an, a free moving position with both of your feet that, you know, a lot of people say, unless you do it like you're on a skateboard and have that perpendicular look to one foot tricks, it doesn't really look good unless you're grabbing it in a certain position. And so it's, it's, a lot of it depends on the skater and how they do the trick. And when you get to guys like Haffy, I mean, everything looks good. It's just, for me, my personal preference of not really having a crotch shot with that big open space between the legs, that drives me insane. But uh, Unities is a really another hard one to shoot because um, it's really hard to tell which direction they're going unless you get that composition and show the aspect of the edge of the ledge and they're looking that direction. Because most of the time when you're doing like a savanna or spinning on and spinning off, you're looking in the opposite direction that you're going. So it's it's very disorienting to know what's going on. And um, But with a lot of these tricks, we're, we're also noticing, okay, well, this trick only looks good in video. This trick only looks good with uh, a photo. This trick can only be shot in a sequence. And so really laying down those foundations, you know, we're, we're creating these rules, but we're also trying to break them at the same time. It's a lot of fun, but yeah, Mizu's, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Actually, negative Mizu's. There's that's a mind blower. You did you did a negative Mizu and a Mizu in Transcend, and I think that must have been because of that that heel plate. You didn't have much of a heel plate, so maybe the the technology forced you. I liked the the negative Mizu that you did in Transcend was good because it was filmed from the front, wasn't it? It was filmed from the front, and that's the only way that <laughs> from the front. So like, so he was coming at the filmer. Yeah, when the cameraman is in front of the camera. A lot of rollerblading grinds are uh, front front filming looks way better. Like a fisheye, the, the cameraman's almost going backwards, and the, the skater's grinding towards him. And that's actually uh, a start. There's a lot of people that knock fisheyes and wide-angle lenses, but, um, you know, it's, it's really hard not to look at the skateboard industry and, you know, surfing and all these other industries, but... Um, because we closely do mimic the same terrain as skateboarding, you know, it's nice when you get somebody that has like a, uh, a telephoto lens and you get this really nice shot and you get everything in the background and everything's in focus or certain things are out of focus. It's very artistic. I but love fisheye. Fisheye is the shit. I love the look of it. I love, like, I think there's certain tricks that just need to be filmed with a fisheye. There's something about it that captures something that you can't get otherwise. It's intimacy. It's very being, intimate. You know, and and all those distorted angles that you get, it it, it over exaggerates everything, and it and it gives it this this image of just grandeur. Yeah. Definitely, definitely. Oh when you man, can see, so like, fisheye where it's like a low angle, and and it just makes the person look like a god. And it's like you can see the sweat, and you can see like the way the skates are worn in, or like if there's hair flailing. <laughs> Alive. A flapping shirt. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> a flapping shirt. You know what? I can't think. I can think of a, a, a mistrial shot. I think Brian Jaggers. Is there a mistrial shot that's really good of him? Um, but I can't think of many Macchio photos that I really like. Macchio's like a pretty dumb. Well, it can be well, such a it, dumb trick. It <laughs> if just, it's like, like the grabbed Macchio. It looks I like mean, you're just standing on your good. foot. But yeah, it's, I think photos of it look really dumb. <laughs> it's like uh, 
it's like if you want to make fun of rollerblading, you lift up your foot and grab it, you know, like in your shoes. It's just one of the things that you do. And then it, it just looks like you're standing on one leg and grabbing a foot. Was it uh, Willie Shanconi? This guy that Joey and I went to high school with, he would always say, hey, you guys still rollerblading? Still doing the one-footer? That was like his joke. He loves the one-footed grind. <laughs> there's, the th- there's the three reference points. Like uh, There's twist pretzel grinds, people say, like twisty foot grinds, boot grabbing, and then jumping up and grabbing your feet. Those are just like all the little easy... Easy access to poke fun. But uh, I was going to ask you, Jason, you, you said like some of that stuff came from skateboarding. Um, you skated with or you skated at the same spot as some legendary skateboarders. So how, how did that work? Like, did you guys just they must have thought you guys were ridiculous. Like in retrospect, rollerblading. I, I grew up watching a lot of classic skateboarding videos with friends in high school, but I still loved rollerblading. Like I didn't, I didn't think it was lame at all. Um, but, but seeing those guys, did you ever want to like skateboard instead of rollerblade? Like, did you seeing, did you ever see like Mark Gonzalez? Like you were seeing something yeah. so refined with, with decades of history. Did you ever look at your skates or, how did that work? The dynamic pretty much is my question. Skating a yeah. spot with something with decades of history and here's these young kids with rollerblades. Well, I actually, uh, not a lot of people know this, but I, I got I got into these sports from skateboarding. I mean, that's that's what I did back in Virginia when I first started. And when I was moved away from from that group of people, when I was like 12, 13 years old, we moved here to uh, to Oakland. And when we moved here, you know, I was skateboarding and surfing a lot. There was no beach, so I just I kind of gave up. I started playing hockey and just basically pushed my skateboard aside. And when I started rollerblading, you know, one of the first places we went to was Embarcadero. So being able to see these guys like Gonzalez and Costin and Mike Carroll, all these guys that were kind of like my – almost like a hero in skateboarding even though I was detached from the sport at that, that level. You know, I wasn't like a T-dog. I just kind of did it casually. But seeing them on my rollerblades, knowing that I wanted to do something similar that they were doing in their industry was was a real eye-opener for me. Um, hearing things like, hey, did you see what Mark Gonzalez did on the Gons Gap today? Hey, did you see what Costin did at, at Hubba's? And the most interesting thing is when, when I started getting really good at blading and my style kicked in a little bit, these same guys were giving me props. Carl Watson, the guy that uh, did the little interlude in the beginning of Julio's uh, VG4 profile. Yeah. I taught that guy how to frontside grind on a pair of K2s, and he loved it. He thought it was the funnest thing in the world. <laughs> and it was just wow. – we used to hang out with these guys all the time. I and mean, we were down there. We'd hang out at the Carl's Jr. We'd you know, smoke a blunt with them at Hubba Hideout. You know, it was, it was different. It was, uh, it was, we were almost connected at the same time that we were being disconnected by the skateboard industry, not the skaters, but the industry. And um, you know, we, we all looked up to them. They were older than us. They had more of a refined industry. And I mean, let's face it, skateboarding's cool. It was cool to be around these guys because they were around for so much longer, and what they produced was was great. Um, you know, a lot of people aren't going to like me saying that, but it, it's true. I mean, it's it's an industry that was basically built up on all these different levels of you know things that took place that we're starting to do now. Yeah. But you know, Eric Costin, he was on the uh, the cover of the photo issue in 1996 or 97 doing a blunt slide on Hubba Hideout. 
and I was in the shot. And the photographer walked over to me and said, hey, man, um, you know, it's cool if you're here skating. We don't really care, but do you mind moving out of the way so we can get this shot? And I was like, yeah, sure. So I get out of the way. They take the shot. I didn't really know what they were filming for. And I remember I was doing I was doing full cab alley Machios and full cab uh, backside backslides. And Eric Costin comes over to me and he's like, hey, that looks like you're doing like a no slide and like, uh, you know, a 5-0 grind. And I was like, yeah, so yeah, kind of looks like that. And he's like, yeah, that's cool. And just skates off. <laughs> Holy shit. It, it's, it's crazy to think sometimes that we just assume there's tension. And a lot of the times it's just, uh, it's just a mental game if you come up to a skate park. That, that a lot of the times there is no tension, hey? Between skateboarding and rollerblading. A lot of it was designed. Totally. Like, it's so it, silly. Um, juvenile. I, th- I hope it goes. I think it's gonna eventually just fade. It is bizarre, though. The thing that I was saying on the on the Jacob podcast that it's still like rollerblading is a punchline. Like every major comedian has made a joke with rollerblades. Like it's a funny word. Do you do you ever think about that, Jason? That that just the word rollerblading in terms of what it still means to. Uh, I don't know, 99% of the world. Do you ever have to uh, deal with the little jokes and things like that? Like, how do you, you know explain what? it? 15 years ago, I mean, it, it's something that bothered a lot of us. But today, like, if you, sh- if you show somebody Happy's drip drop section and say, this is what rollerblading has become, you know, it, it's, it's that awareness. It's people understanding that it's completely different because what we did, I, I admit, what we did was fun. It may not have looked very cool. It may not have been cool in the eyes of the world, but the one thing that rollerblading will always have over any other sport is how much fun it is. Just the ramp up time, the uh, how fast you can learn stuff that's similar to like a skateboard or BMX, you know. And these are the things that people want to do that are fun. Like you know, it takes a skateboarder five to ten years to do a handrail. Rollerblading, you can literally do one in six months if you try hard enough. In that that fun aspect, you know, once people see that again, I think that's what's going to help expand the industry. But, um, you know. You really have to take a step back and see it for what it was. The skateboard industry had a lot to lose. They were looking at it from a sales perspective. They saw kids out there rollerblading that, in terms of market share, should have been riding a skateboard, helping their industry succeed. And at the same time, you had people that were advertising and rollerblading that were biting off of the skateboard industry, and they were deliberate bites. And so that's where a lot of the animosity came from uh, from Steve Rocco and his son when they did Big Brother toward you know Arlo. Was there were things that were being done that were mocking, almost mocking skateboarding, and a lot of those anti-Semitist rollerblading comments kind of came from that. I, I, I think that if if we didn't bite skateboarding as hard, um, those comments might not have been made. But at the same time, it, it's not really about where you are. It's from the depths that you've climbed from. And so if we can all climb out of this hole together and get it to where it needs to be and kind of diminish that tarnish that's that's taken place these last 10 years with the comments. And that's something else that I'm, I'm trying to help a few people, which is the rebranding of the name Rollerblade and, and just the sport itself. But I, I, it's possible. It's really easy. And there, there's certain things that we're going to try to do to put in place that's going to make it really difficult for people to want to continue making those comments afterwards, things that we're trying to do in mainstream media. So, you know, we're, we know it's an uphill battle. We know it's going to take a couple of years. But you can't deny when you put a pair of rollerblades on your feet and you're just cruising, it is the coolest, funnest thing in the world. And if yeah. you just market the fun, 
it'll be so much easier for us to get back on track. Oh, you know, there's those videos online of like you can look on YouTube of people putting on a pair of skates that's been collecting dust in their garage and making like a making fun of rollerblading video. But sometimes they go on for so long and the person is actually having so much fun. Like the they're making a video that's a joke video about rollerblading, but you can tell that they like start to the mental gears start going like, oh shit, I can just jump around and ride around and do ridiculous things yeah. in these. It, it It's like infectious. As soon as you put them on, you start smiling like a little kid. <laughs> it, it is a fountain of youth. It makes you feel so young to do it. Yeah, and trying to recapture that. I mean, you almost have to fall on your, your sword to a certain point to say, you know what? It, it may not be the coolest thing out there. A lot of people don't think it's cool, but it's fun. Definitely. And people are willing to sacrifice the cool for the fun. I mean, I was a skateboarder and a surfer. Two very cool things. But I consider myself a rollerblader. And I'm okay with saying that now. Looking at what people are doing, watching this Fish Guys video, which is probably one of the most revolutionary things or videos I've seen like ever. And seeing what skating is now, I'm, I'm so proud to say that I rollerblade. I go around working when I tell people I'm going skating this week. And, oh, you skateboard? And I look at them and go, fuck, I don't skateboard. That's stupid. I rollerblade. <laughs> they, they're like, what? Rollerblade, and I show them these videos, and they're like, "Oh my god, that's so much bigger than a skateboarder!" I'm like, "You have no idea." And I, when I jump the leap of faith, and they're like, "Wow, you did that too!" I remember that guy Jamie something doing it. I'm like, "Jamie Thomas, yeah, that's whatever." Rollerblade. Oh, you did jump the leap of faith. Yeah, holy shit! You held that grab too. Holy. Yeah, bomb drop. I, yeah, your body like, just like. Crumpled. That was huge. Were you okay after you did that? I was uh, the only person I think that didn't really get broken off. But um, when I landed, I bounced off of my right ass cheek, and I I think it damaged my sciatic nerve because every now and then my right leg will just go numb. <laughs> okay, so so you tried it. Maddie Mance tried it. Uh, Shima tried it. Ian Brown. Ian. Oh yeah, Ian Brown. Anyone yeah. else? Who else Kel tried it? McKenzie. Oh, Cal McKenzie. Oh, my God. Where, uh, he Did he try and tap it, or was that a mistake? <laughs> I don't think he tried intentionally. <laughs> <laughs> His fall was... Cal McKenzie's fall was the worst. Definitely. Yeah. Eric Garcia tried it. Eric did Garcia he? tried it. Yeah. Yeah. Remember, I think they, like, they... they uh, they, they cranked the noise on the landing and it was like, boom. And, and he just like fell back. Wow. What, so what, that four... was in his, uh, that was in his Dyna profile, I think. Oh, that's a good section. Really, really... good section. Uh, so really? four out of five rollerbladers that tried it, it was K2s. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, a lot of good skating went down on um, K2s. Over. So you were you were on K two, Jason, for a while there. Yeah, I didn't I didn't know I was on K two the whole time. That's what was funny about it is I was getting free skates, and and how it started was uh, when we were filming for VG four back in I think it was 96, 90, uh, 96, 97. Um, we were hanging out with Heiser at the fifty fifty house, and I kept breaking skates from doing all these gaps. Like I, I was always a big gapper, and um, 
we went to Monterey High School, and the gap in the front of there is probably one of the biggest gaps I've ever done. And I just kept breaking skates on it. So I wasn't telling them this, but they kept sending them to me. And what was funny is when VG4 came out, I went to the release, and I'm sitting there, and I'm like, I'm watching a K2 ad at the end, and I see my name in it. I watch the Senate ad, and my name's in it. Like, all these companies are saying that I ride for them, and I had no idea. I'm like, what's going on? (laughs) Like, I saw my section, but I'm, like, being advertised in, like, everything right now. And so I keep looking over at Dave Payne, and he won't look at me. And so at the end, he walks over to me and shakes my hand, and it was kind of like my introduction to being a rider for all these teams. And it's the coolest thing ever because I was getting mad. Like, I was like, what the fuck is going on? And, um, and so that's kind of how I was introduced into K2 was probably with, with Tom Heiser at the time. But um, wow, it was a weird relationship. I didn't really talk to those guys much. Skates just kept showing up. <laughs> Skates. <laughs> and i'd sell the snowboards because i didn't snowboard at the time and you know i'd go out and buy some clothes and you know party i Uh, i actually purchased um so i purchased rems because of your transcend section and i actually got king 55s because of that section too you had good taste in skates in that transcend section and he always made them look really good like yeah any pair of skates that you rocked looked really good like you rocked razors in your FOR profile, and they looked so good. And you rocked USDs. You made USDs look good. Those yeah, white those USDs are on low, the Transcend the, profile. Yeah. And you always skated flat, didn't you? I always we, skated flat. You always <laughs> had good skates. Yeah, like, like, I wrote that down in my notes. It was that because of your uh, the skateboarding background, you had a sense of like style, the way that you wanted your shoes to look almost, that that translated into your skates. Yeah, I was a I was a a big shoe whore. Um, you know, anytime the new Jordans or the Scotty Pippins came out, that's that's kind of what I wanted. And uh, you know, at the time, skateboarding shoes really weren't much, and so it it was a, a huge influence in style on what I had on my feet. And all of that kind of worked from the ground up. I mean, when you go shopping, I always go shoe shopping, and I base all of my outfits and the things that I wear off of my shoes. And it's all color coded from the belt has to match the shoes, the pants have to be an off tone color between the shirt and the, the skates. And it was just kind of like this structure that I had that I think it's because I was raised by my, my mom and my sister, and that's all I did was shop. And so I had this good sense of kind of fashion, I guess. I, and that's another thing I was a fashion Nazi. If you were wearing a pair of K2s and you had a USD shirt on, I was going to give you a ton of shit. <laughs> hey, I think of that. If you if if the skates that you have on don't match the shirt, it's a big faux pas. You're creating some bad energy there. Yeah. The universe is out of sync. <laughs> I remember Josh telling me that like he he wanted to wear clothing of companies that produced hard goods. Just because, like, you you might as well support a company that's actually going to produce skates, and that's a pretty good point. If if you can like put an extra thirty dollars in in USD's bank account, you know, if that happened, if if enough people buy T-shirts, it might help them like produce a better skate, or you know, that's yeah. true. That's but, true. But it's unfortunate that most of the the hot clothes are like from just clothing companies. They're there really isn't a lot like what you were saying with um, companies right now. There really isn't a lot that you can rock that that kind of means something that you can connect with in skating. That I I don't really wear a lot of a lot of skating clothes, and I and it is to do with that like growing up through skating. Um, 
we just have a different connection to it. Do you ever think of that, Todd? Like, I know Inri, I really liked, I yeah. liked the Inri stuff. And uh, the 4x4, four four, like any Jeremy, Jeremy Batel, his art was really good. Yeah. But I mean, do you connect with much no, clothing I stuff? No, I don't wear that much, a lot of rollerblading clothes. And I think, uh, I think it's a huge mistake of rollerblading to, to constantly target kids. Like, I understand why they do it from a marketing perspective, but um, it was really refreshing to listen to, to Jason, to listen to you talk about uh, uh, targeting older people more and, and trying to do things that excite those older people because that's, like, a huge problem with rollerblading is, is older people just not being able to connect with it anymore. Um, and we need more companies that uh, that are targeted towards... The, the OGs, and it's unfortunate that a lot of those companies that, that we grew up on are, are gone, and we're left with all this new stuff that, that we don't connect to. Yeah. I was watching the uh, Bones Brigade documentary the other night, and uh, one thing that really struck a chord with me was they Wait, were talking about... Do, do it yourself? No. <laughs> you know? like... No. No. Stacy Peralta does jerk himself off a little bit in that in the documentary because he directed it, and so he kind of tries to hold it together. But uh, the Bones Brigade documentary, Lance Mountain, they talk about how when he was in the video, it was either I think it was Future Primitive. Um, Mike is it Mike Valelli is his name? Yes, yeah, Valeli. Mike Valeli, Valeli was talking about when he saw that video. He would look at guys like Tony Hawk and Steve Caballero and one of the other dudes on the team and be like, oh, fuck, you know, that doesn't, that doesn't, yeah, like technical dudes. And Mike Vallely is watching this video as a young kid being like, oh, fuck, I can't do any of this. Like, that doesn't look fun. And then Lance Mountain's section was in it. And he was like, yes, this I connect with. Like, this is accessible. Do you think that rollerblading's uh, missing a little bit of that um, talking about the OG thing? that kind of like spirit and soul of skating, something like <clears throat> Dustin Latimer's section in Accidental Machines where you can be older, you don't have to break yourself off, you don't have to be technical, you can really uh, just have fun skating. Do you think there's media that there, there's not much media out that, that has that vibe? Absolutely. Right I think that's that's one of the biggest problems right now is exactly what you said. And we talk about this all the time, especially with Hammer, is how, how do you make the sport accessible and get kids excited to want to do it? Because you look at some of these sections and these kids are thinking, first off, there's so many spins to tricks, spins on tricks and spins out that when a kid looks at it for the first time, he doesn't know what's going on. It's really difficult for him to wrap his mind around all three of these different pieces of that one trick that took place. And you know, us, us older guys, when I come back, it's not that I can't do it. I just don't want to do it. You know, I, I don't really have the energy and the means to do a 540 onto a trick and then a 360 onto another grind and then spin out. You know, I just, I don't have the energy to do that anymore. And so a lot of it comes with me wanting to just really hold something really nice and have fun and, and kind of recapture what it was like back in the day. And when, when you notice the expansion of rollerblading back in the day, that's all we had. I mean, the one thing that we were picky about was style because there wasn't a lot of tricks. But what attracted these these kids in was the fact that they were looking at, you know, these these guys on rollerblades and they said, Okay, 
all I have to do is jump to get onto that grind. <laughs> and once I get to that grind, if I can do it good enough, I could probably get sponsored. And that's what a lot of us were thinking when we first got into it was <laughs> the illusion that all I have to do is jump onto this and learn these couple of tricks and I can get sponsored. Great. I'm going to do it. And if you look at the gap now between the pros and those people that would want to get sponsored, it's so unreachable right now. But I, I think you're right. I think if you could recapture some of the older guys, even get some of the newer guys to, to kind of follow some of the same trick guidelines and make it look more accessible, it would it would probably draw some of the younger kids in. Yeah, I think I think in a lot of ways, uh, rollerblading was a lot um, a lot more appealing to 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 kids um, back in the VG days, like back when it was old school. I think now, like, people do the craziest shit and, like, transferring rails and, like, huge fucking gaps. I think a lot of kids probably look at that and they're like, I don't want to fucking do that. Like, <laughs> yeah. I don't want to slide this 50-foot rail, drop rail. You know, it's just so crazy. But I don't want to die. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to fucking break my leg. But then, like, a video like VG and just, like, very stylish um, – uh, skating that people could relate to and it's still it was still dangerous but it wasn't it wasn't anywhere near as dangerous as it is now and yeah. it I, it probably looked a lot f- more fun to kids and it probably made them say oh, oh i want to get a pair of skates that looks like fun well i mean I, you can't really put blame on anyone but what it really comes back to marketing and you know, it's it's great that all these – and it's not the skaters' fault. I mean these skaters are being captured with what they're doing, and it's great, and that needs to happen. But you, you really have to understand that, that marketing pyramid and that paradigm of how things are structured. And if you want to reach that wider base of people, the newer base of people that supports everything else, which is what these people are doing now, you really have to focus on that. And a lot of that's not being done because whether it's egos, company egos, and people aren't really willing to put their name or their, their brand – at that level, um, because of the, the site, the visibility that they'd have is doing something different and outside of aggressive. But that's the one thing to me that's really missing is, um, you know, a lot of people say that, you know, we've tried everything. And, you know, all this stuff promoting aggressive skating, it's just not working anymore. Take a look at where you came from. If you ask anybody that's under, say, 35 years old, between 25 and 35, where did you come from? Did you jump straight into aggressive? And most of the people are going to say no. I mean, I came from hockey. Haffy came from hockey. Lawrence Ingram from 50-50. I met him playing hockey. Kel McKenzie, I met him playing hockey. Eric Garcia played hockey. Most of us played hockey or just rollerbladed because our parents got it for us. And if you look at it that way, you know, we need to be marketing more toward the, I don't call it fitness anymore. I call it cross training because I think fitness is a pretty demeaning term. Um, <laughs> But cross training, because I I picture spandex and, you know, the helmet and all the gear on it when they say fitness and the boardwalk skater and cross training to me is really what rollerblading is. It's the ability to do one sport to better the other sports as your core focus. And so, um, you know, for leaving all those other parts of rollerblading out, I think that was kind of suicide for us. I mean, we tried so hard to disassociate from the one thing that was probably funneling all this money in. Yeah. And basically gave them the middle finger. And so the new Rise Above logo, I don't know if you've seen it. It's like a circle that looks like a maze with an eight-point star in the middle. And the meaning of that logo is we've spent all this time going through this maze trying to find out who we are, and there's no way out. 
we're rollerbladers. We need to accept who we are. We need to accept all different aspects of rollerblading to move forward. Because I, I don't think that rollerblading, and a lot of people aren't going to like me saying this, I don't think rollerblading is cool in the eyes of the world. I think it's fun, and that's what we need to, to market and focus on. But I personally, I do think it's cool. I think other people have a hard time accepting it because of the propaganda that took place with skateboarding hating us. But you know, in the center of that maze is us. It's it's the hockey players. It's the aggressive. It's the fitness. It's the solemn. It's the dance. It's the freestyle. And once we we accept who we are and are happy with it, once we can go to work and school and say, I'm a rollerblader. I love being a rollerblader. I don't like skateboarding. I don't like BMX. This is what I do. This is who I am, and I'm happy. Once we can do that, I think that's when we're really going to see people moving forward in the sport and really realizing that we, we do need each other. We need these, these 25 to 30-year-olds out there buying fitness skates because they're going to have kids who are going to play hockey. And when they force their kids into hockey, the kids are going to look over and see us grinding stuff, and they're going to want to rebel or they're going to want to do it for this artistic aspect of it. And that's where we're going to get our numbers from. The people who are already doing, doing it, who are already blading, it'll be really easy for us to not necessarily steal those numbers but easily transition them into this part of the industry and that's something that I'm, I'm really passionate about and that I'm really focusing on with a, a couple of really large key companies in the inline industry is is marketing to that, that bottom part of the pyramid, the base. How do we build that up to bring all the money back to the top, which is where we are? So, Wow. You definitely know your shit. I think when you talk about either, you know, like trying to rebrand rollerblading somehow, uh, but the biggest one that you said is like uh, – admitting that you know it's not that cool i think if more people just admitted that obviously i think it's amazing and i think it's cool like you said but that really trying to look objectively at it and see why it can be funny to people or maybe look awkward or dorky yeah it's it's true and i think a lot of people still don't want to admit that they're very they've got you know chip on their shoulder or they're very uh, defensive with Very it. defensive. And I, I think it's a mistake in our media to try to make it look cool or to try Definitely. to make these people look badass or to, like because that just makes it look ridiculous. Well, there's nothing more uncool than trying to tell someone that you're cool. Exactly. And, and there's nothing more like cool and like trying to to make your shit look tight. And like I appreciate aiming for good style and everything, but uh it becomes it becomes a, a blanket when when people are trying to look cool they're they're hiding parts of their of themselves and yeah. and and we need to i love that phrase that you said sacrifice cool sacrifice the cool for the fun um, oh yeah that's a good one that's <laughs> that's a jason marshall original that's good i want that on a fucking t-shirt i actually just <laughs> tweeted it Fuck yes, but uh, but as role butters, we need to just focus on on having fun and and not not concern ourselves with how it's perceived. Just uh, try to have fun with it and do and and create interesting media and revealing media. Oh yeah, yeah. The per- that and the word personality gets overused, but you were touching upon that. That in you know seeing a rise above ad with. Tom Heiser and it said lick my ass rookie or like <laughs> remember like that shit was awesome or there was one was it like uh Andy Cruz or someone like licking a palm tree and they looked all yeah. fucked up this black and white photo and yeah the TJ Weber one I didn't know any of these like I wouldn't have known that TJ Weber was stoned in in Night of the String is it 
Night of the String Todd where they're in Amsterdam and there's just those shots of TJ Weber and he's so baked. Uh, the camera just like cuts away to him. I didn't know that yeah. like half of or like most of the rollerblading industry was just fucking stoned for like <laughs> a lot of those videos. Yeah. I, I was so naive and I didn't care. Like it just looked cool anyway, it, regardless of if people were were drunk or stoned. It had a feeling to it. Yeah. And I think there, it's also it's also a mistake to focus so heavily on, uh, like, uh, the the quality of the media. Oh in yeah. In terms yeah. of like using the the best cameras and getting like the best look, like the crispest, most most perfect uh, shots, and trying to kind of emulate like what snowboarding videos and skiing videos are doing. Um, I mean, I appreciate it, and it is it is pleasing to the eye. But I think things can be really shitty, like image yeah. quality wise, and still be entertaining as fuck. Like it doesn't need, like you're almost limiting the amount of of information you can receive about the person when you're like, oh, this shot it didn't make the cut because like there was dirt on the lens, or it, it was filmed with a yeah. shittier camera. Like if it reveals something and if it's entertaining. That's all that really matters. Like uh, the best video ever can be made with with an old shitty camera on an iPhone. On a Who fucking knows? on a, on, yeah. on an iPhone, but not on a Hero Cam. <laughs> well, then here's my. I'm gonna move into my shameless plug number two, if that's okay. Do it. Do it. So with with Hammer Magazine. Um, that's something we've actually had a lot of discussions about, and I just recently bu- upgraded my camera. But most of the shots that we were taking, we, we were trying to capture that that raw grit. That you know, what is skating? You know, you look at the fish guys with the fish or the wide angle and the fish eye. You know, how do you how do you recapture that essence? How do you bring that into intimacy back to? what you need to focus on, which is the skating. And I was out there shooting with a T2i, you know, like the bottom of the line professional camera and a fisheye lens. And some of my pictures, you know, when I look at them and I wasn't pleased with them and I'd show somebody else and they basically told me, you know what, it has that, that old daily bread feel to it. And then looking at something else that somebody else did that's more current and it, it literally looks like an MTV cover shot. And I'm, I'm you know, I think they both have their place, but, I think if you're trying to recapture the youthful spirit of blading and, and what it was for us, you have to take a step back and look at it subjectively. When we fell in love with rollerblading, there was none of these telephoto shots. A lot of it was fish dry and wide angle, and it was up close, personal, and dirty, and you saw skating, and we loved it. And there's a place for both. I mean, there's a place for a telephoto lens. There's certain shots where, you, you know, it's really good. But if you look through any skateboarding magazine and listen to the professional photographers in skateboarding talk about it, they'll tell you the same thing. 75 to 90% of the time, you should be using a wide angle or fisheye lens. And, and, and they hold that like the, it's the letter of the law. And if you, if you go through any Thrasher magazine, any skateboard, trans world skateboarding magazine and count the number of wide angle and fisheye shots it is literally like 80%. And it's not that it's easy because shooting with those lenses is very difficult to make it look really good. I mean, composition and lighting are everything, but it, it just, it, it pulls the person in and it really helps you kind of conceptualize what's going on with the skating as opposed to, you know, all the abstract stuff going around, uh, going on around it. So, um, you know, with Hammer, the one thing that we said is, you know, we'll put some other shots in. We're gonna, we'll have some standard, some standard length and some, some telephoto shots in there. But 
we have to make sure that it still has that raw grit to it. I mean, it has to look like skating. You can't be overcome by the building in the background. It has to accentuate the skater. Maybe a color on the side of the building matches the skater, the, the frame. In that case, you kind of draw it in a little bit with the telephoto lens. But, um, you know, I, I look at skating now, and it, a lot of it's emulating skiing where skiers jump these really big jumps. So they have to stand, you know, a couple hundred yards back and shoot with a telephoto. But, you know, there's a time and place for everything. I think if you want to to attract and, and bring more of these young kids in, kids love the way that that wide angle looks. I mean, there's no denying it. And so that's something that, you know, I, I get a lot of shit from it all the time. Bill Hedrick is always making fun of me. Oh, are you shooting with a fisheye again? And I'm like, yeah, I love this thing, you know. But, you know, it, it's it's all about being subjective about what things really are and seeing them for what they are and how things have worked. I mean, it's really easy to look at the skateboard industry who have done everything right, and there's nothing wrong with saying that. I, I think we need to try and bring some of the things that they've done that help their industry back into ours because they're, they're, they're on the pedestal. I mean, they've done everything right. They are where we all want to be. And so to deny any of that is it's kind of difficult. you know. And, yeah. Definitely. I think... When we were watching the ground control video, we were joking about how it's like, wow, they were like, this looks like a corporate video for this building, and there just happens to be a skater in the shot. <laughs> <laughs> it's that that uh, the influence of like um, high high quality video being so widely available on Vimeo and everything. It's just so weird how uh, people think that your tools inform creativity, but it's never. It's never the truth at all. That yeah. um, do you have a favorite skate photo just off the top of your head from from all the daily breads? Yeah, like it's something. Uh, Dustin Latimer doing the uh, alley oop, uh, fish brain, the parallel grab, and the oh, ditch. Oh, don't even. Wow, wow. Stop it. Nice one. Woo! That's a oh. That's my all-time favorite shot, and uh, with the kids standing there in the background, just the composition that that they captured with that, and just at the time seeing that trick, knowing that yeah, we used to do it on ledges, down ledges, maybe a ten stair, but knowing how he got up there, <laughs> and the grab and the style that he produced for that shot, that is probably the best skating shot in my eyes ever. Yeah. Nothing matches that still to this day. Ooh, I got. I... There's something to be said about photos where it, it would be impossible to like pose it like you know how it's po it's possible to like just stand on a rail and like pose a trick and take a photo and it would look exactly the same as if you actually did it oh yeah in that photo like there's no way that latimer could have like faked that trick no you can <laughs> you can feel it you can yeah. feel that he's that it's a moment in time where they they cheated the time space continuum oh with a God. parallel alley-oop fish brain and it was it was it was prime time it was like you know the sun was just going down it was that orangey kind of light oh god oh shit the first thing that i thought what the fuck is this little kid doing in a ditch this time of day <laughs> yeah. where is parents little ditch kid like he wasn't wearing shoes was he he was yeah, like, he was like eating ice cream or something like where the fuck is this kid's parents get, get a big like uh hawaiian shirt on too didn't he yeah the hawaiian shirt yeah and it turned out it was uh it was like brooke howard smith's cousin or nephew or something like that yeah wow. was, and was he eating the kid was eating something yeah it was like so. a popsicle or like a like pop or something. <laughs> 
There's something like when you think of how you were able to name that picture right away, there's just something that that photo, a feeling that you could write, you know, an entire book about just the fact that the kid's looking up. It's amazing what a powerful photograph can do. The kid adds so much, almost even like as a reference of scale. Because the kid looks so small and he's looking way up at Latimer on this huge, huge ledge. You know, if the kid wasn't there, I mean, it still would be a great photo. But that kid adds so much to that image. Oh, my God. Like, it's a you get so many feelings about, like, the power of vision and imagination that that you can think of being a little kid. And then maybe when you're older, you can be a great rollerblader or something. I don't know. There's just so much to that. It, it, it's wild that those photos have such an instant feeling that talking about all of this stuff, um, growing up, watching videos and your favorite photographs and things and how technology doesn't matter. You always remember how something made you feel, not not exactly what it looked like. Yeah. It's like feeling that you get. And I think that's missing from a lot of uh, video and photography and and even products. Do you think that that's a, um, do, you, do you think it's more or less because of the, the the reduced amount of photography that's out there? Because you know when you look at Facebook and you look at all these online media outlets, and you know the the content is lost as quick as it's shared, especially a picture. Um, not so much with the the videos, but it's almost like you know that's an element that is very detrimental to any sport because a, a photograph looks different than. Than, than watching it on video. I mean, I, I like to see both and I like to have both, but it's that that ability to to think for yourself and, and see a picture and, and give it your own rendition and, and your own caption. And, you know, it's it's pretty difficult these days because we, it's really hard to find that print media. I mean, like, I, I like looking at ones. I go back through all their old issues and the stuff that B has online. But, uh, you know, to me, like the, the greatest thing that I've seen in the last decade is the the Haitian mag. You know, being able to sit there and read it and look at everything that's in it, and you know, it's it, it's almost like photography is not dying, but it's such a critical piece. So you can build your own picture and your own story that you know it, it it's that puzzle piece that's really missing right now. And you know, that's one of the main reasons we wanted to do Hammer Two is to try and bring some of that back into it on a a more regular release basis because we're trying to do it once a month cool. and like i i miss that i miss looking at something you know on print and just sitting there skimming through it and just looking at it over and over again yeah definitely so, so hammer's gonna be a like a, an ipad app yeah it's uh it's gonna be a, it's basically a digital magazine but um you know it's it's not just gonna be like a flat pdf where you know it's just an image and you you swipe through to the next image we're gonna have um, embedded videos. And so there's no buffering. Once you download the, the app and you come to a section that has, you know, a play button and you hit the video or the edit, you know, it's, it's, it's in the app. You, wow. you can scan it to any location in it and fast forward and stuff like that. And so cool. that we're also really doing cool. Yeah. It's fun because you get to see all three things. And the, the coolest thing that a lot of people like is you'll come to these, these images and it, it looks like a small frame image on top of a, a picture in the background. But it's actually a slideshow. You can actually, we're taking a lot of sequences so you can basically thumb through it and basically see the, the shot almost like video, but you're controlling it with your finger. You know, you're swiping through looking at all the images. And so that was a lot of fun to, to be able to incorporate something like that because it's a little bit different and new. 
and so we're we're basically pulling all these different types of media into one one consolidated form and so that's that's been pretty exciting that's very cool that's very cool that's something that uh like i recently got my first ipad and i noticed right away that like the the way that you consume media is really really sexy and it allows for like kind of the the combination of of video and magazine and exactly what you're talking about and it's a very unique experience and i don't think it's something that's fully been taken advantage of in the role biting world so that's really exciting to hear so um so each uh, you're going to try to do like a monthly issue or something yeah we're we're Definitely doing a monthly issue, and we're shooting for uh, 100 pages per issue. Wow! And we're we're already shooting for <laughs> for the third issue right now. Cool. Um, but so, the cool thing is, sorry. Uh, I was just going to ask, like, so will will you have to pay for each issue? How's that going to work? Yeah, um, because in the iTunes store, um, I mean, we don't really know what that rate's going to be yet. It's going to be really low. It's going to be less than like going to Starbucks and getting a coffee, so a couple of dollars, but. Um, the cool thing is nobody's doing this and the reason that they're not doing this is because it's the programming behind it is pretty technical. Yeah. And so you look at the skateboard industry, BMX, scootering, none of these people have it, but we've already been approached by those industries to do this for them, Wow. which we're not going to do. Like we've been pretty clear about it. Um, cause we're hoping this is one of those things that kind of helps bring people in and kids when they see this and they can kind of thumb through stuff and play with it. But Very cool. it's so expensive. Are, yeah. Like are you, you involved with someone? Yeah. So are you? So you have a programmer, or is that something you do yourself? Yeah. So Dave Cardoza and I, um, you know, we both have programming and software backgrounds. We went out and bought all the books and the kits on how to do it, and spent six to nine months programming, learning how to program. Yeah. And so we basically did this from the ground up, just with no experience. Awesome. <laughs> I I love that idea that like, um, you're you're it's it's such a great way to learn is to like use your passion as the motivation and the experience that you need to like learn how to do something, whether it's like building a website or, or building an iPad app. It's like, it makes it more exciting to learn because you have this like cool thing that you're working towards. Like if, you know, if someone was just like, Oh, I want to learn how to make an iPad app, but they didn't have this kind of passion or idea for something. The, the odds of them like, getting that proficiency would it's it's less like it's like it's a huge benefit to be passionate about something whatever it is whether it's music or or and to to channel that you know that drive into learning new skills that's a beautiful thing so you guys taught taught basically taught yourself how to produce uh ipad apps and i know that's that's hard there's yeah. a lot to that that's cool there is a there is a lot, and um, we were actually we were anticipating that we weren't going to get any of this out until uh, 2013, but yeah. we we fell so deep into the rabbit hole that we were skyping at nighttime until like two in the morning, like just talking about the code lines and things that we were going to be producing, and we nice. we basically had the layout of the magazine before we even started this, so we knew what we wanted it to look like, and so it was really about figuring out, you know, what code lines do we need to produce this thing or or this item over here, and and so it yeah. it actually sped it up because we already knew visually how we want it to look and feel so it was really finding out how to get those pieces of code integrated into the the framework to get it all to function right so did you use uh like xcode is are you using like yeah 
Yeah, it was uh, Xcode, Objective C, and a little bit of uh, HTML5. Nice. That's yeah. awesome. That's very exciting. Um, so, is this? Uh, you sound really smart. What What do you do for a living? Um, I'm actually a, a senior network engineer and an architect, so I design large service provider networks. Holy so, uh, yeah, like I, I design small pieces of the internet for really large companies. Wow, that's yeah. cool. Yeah, it's not as cool as this, but you know, I'd, I'd rather be doing all the skating stuff. But it it pays the bills. Yeah, and it's uh, <laughs> the way I see it is it's. Um, for me, it's it's fun to have a career that like I'm learning new things, and then I can I can use that for things like this, you know, things like um, that I like to do for rollerblading. Like it's exciting for me to go into work and and I'm not I'm not like baking cookies or something where it has no application to this. It's like along the same lines as what I want to be doing for rollerblading. So it's like a double win. It's like I'm getting paid, yeah. but I'm also learning these like skills. You know, that's ex- that's exciting to me. Yeah, we that's exactly how we felt too, and that's why it was so easy to get through these, you know, these last couple of months to uh, to basically our release date, which is um, we're trying to have it dropped somewhere at the end of November this month. But it it depends on the Apple approval process, where it might actually bleed over into December a little month, in which case we might end up having you know, two issues in the month of December. And so it's uh, Apple controls the world right now. They even control the rate at which your application is released. So that's a little, little yeah. disappointing, but it's all fun at the same time. Yeah, that's really exciting. Well, this was a really fucking awesome podcast, Jason. Thank you. I had Thank a lot of fun. Thank you for taking the time to do it. And like, wow, just listening to you talk really inspired me and... Um, I hope if, uh, I'm sure people are really going to enjoy this one. I'm going to go skating today. I'm really excited. <laughs> yeah. I'm actually, <laughs> when we started talking about that DL picture, um, Aaron Gates is texting me cause I'm supposed to go film her and, uh, Becky. And so we're going to go over to this really cool high school after this and skate and have a session. But this, this whole thing just got me that more pumped to go skate. Cool. Well, yeah. Have a, enjoy your day. And, uh, let's uh do this again sometime yeah absolutely thanks again joey and todd appreciate it yeah i think we lost joey but uh okay yeah on on behalf of both of us thank you very much and uh yeah we'll talk soon likewise appreciate it all right see ya all right take care hello hello were you hello oh shit yeah (laughs) oh shit (laughs) Is Jason gone? What happened? Yeah. How did we get him uh, I back? I ended it. Oh, you did? <laughs> yeah. Oh. That was weird. Did you just drop off? Well, I was getting close to the point where I was going to break up, so I didn't want to wreck the podcast. So I, I just, I, I, I should get into the habit of hanging up around the 50-minute mark, okay. and I need to figure out a way where I can just casually come back on if the person's still talking. Yeah, I think, I think you could have. So, yeah, I'll tr- we'll try that for next time. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. That, that was so really it, it's awesome. over? That was yeah, really yeah. good. There's, uh, there's definitely something in the air, like, <laughs> definitely. Be- between, like, talking to the Kevin Yee, that one, um, the Matt Ledoux 
one, just some of the stuff that's coming out. Very exciting. It's pretty cool. Uh, it's It'll be really interesting to see how this all evolves with everyone doing all this shit. And it's really it's a really positive atmosphere yeah. around it. Yeah, it's coming together. It's very exciting. It's crazy. Uh, how you know how passionate these people are, even when they're when they've been out of skating for so long, yeah. and they they speak from a place of like this guy. He's not wanting to make money or anything. He's doing like he just wants to give people the feeling. Yeah. So it's almost like more powerful when people go away and they they realize how special it is and and how fun it is and and they really un, un, they understand that from a from a deep level having been without it yeah and uh and cuz kevin you was saying he's like that that's totally a developmental thing like it's part of your development as a human that you're supposed to be away from it yeah cuz the things that you bring back to it it's so much more powerful yeah fuck very cool rollerblading yeah that got uh, me hyped i want i'm going to go skating <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to do now, but I have that crazy feeling, that awesome, crazy feeling. Um, Sweet. Well, yeah, good podcast. Enjoy skating. I will. I'm going to do some editing. Maybe I'll do a roll around the block. I got to finish flip-flops this weekend. I'm so close. Sweet. That's exciting. It's turning out really good, like a lot better. But it has a a really good kind of old school feel to it. Yeah. Because originally I was going to edit it like a like a tour video and have it longer, but I just figured take the most interesting things and make it really short. Cool, I think that's so, a good approach. Yeah, yeah. Kind of like you talked to Dustin. Uh, yeah, yeah. Is he is he gonna give you Imagine Blade Shun? He said he wants to give it to Leon for Christmas. Really? So, yeah, he said in the last message. Yeah. And he's coming back to Canada, I think, in the spring. Cool. The most interesting thing from him, this is off the record. Oh, the, uh, I'm, I am still recording. Oh, you are? Yeah, this is still... <laughs> the, the, you you came back on right when I said goodbye to Jason. Oh, shit. Well, then just yeah. delete that. Uh, well, I can't say it now. About... Did you is, did you not want to talk say anything about uh, flip-flops? Oh, um, uh, no, 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 you can, you can keep that. You can keep that. It was the thing that I was just about to say. Oh. It ha- ha- is top secret. Okay. So now, can you stop? <laughs> I want to know what it is. Hello? <laughs> you can't go on the podcast, though. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, okay, well, I, oh, I can <laughs> that's Shit. it i'll text you then yeah text it to me okay cool <laughs> that, that is interesting cool okay um yeah awesome podcast yeah that was really good yeah i'm moving to kamloops in like two weeks oh shit isn't that crazy yeah i wish i could have come down to film once more in vancouver but i mean i can go down with you over the next year or whatever but that's amazing yeah, isn't that crazy? I can't gonna, believe that's happening. It's we're going to have the indoor. 
Oh yeah, faction. I haven't even I haven't even gone to it. But <laughs> we should we should go have a really shitty filming session there one but, time. Joel said they they changed it and he said it's just lots of quarter pipes and I was like, that sounds really fun. That does sound fun. It's lots of quarter pipes in a tight space. It's just the fact that uh it's if it's crowded, yeah. we should pay the money to just do private sessions. For sure. Yeah, me, you, and uh, Dana, and yeah. Joel, have a little... Yeah, we should definitely rent it out, have Dana's a private sesh. No. Um, What's that? Dana's in town. I might try and skate with him, but... Um, nice. Uh, that's amazing. So, is that sooner than you thought you would come back to Kamloops? Um, a little bit, I guess. I, well, we were, we never were really certain about the timing. Yeah. It was just like... Uh, it was just whenever we sold our place and whenever we found a, another place to live. And then I was like, oh, I have to find a job. And then I found out that I could work remotely. Um, so everything just came together. Uh, it's pretty crazy that it that it worked. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's insane. I know. It's so insane. Back in Kamloops. Life is so weird. <laughs> It really fucking is. Fuck. It, it is. It has to be a simulation. Yeah. It's just so weird. <laughs> <laughs> Had a bunch of those moments lately. Fuck. No, <laughs> I don't know. I'm thinking about doing the stand-up workstation. I love it. Yeah. I love you it. Still you'll, doing f- it? you'll find yourself one of the best things that you do because I did that whole podcast standing up. Wow. You'll just like move around and then like I do lots of... Uh, You'll just engage your core and like bet, do a forward bend. Yeah. You'll find yourself naturally moving around. Like even while you're typing, you'll be like lifting your feet up back and forth and like moving your hips side to side. It's just like your body naturally wants to move at oh. it. Hmm. Cool. Interesting. Yeah. Nice. Well, go skate. Go have fun. Yeah, I will. And uh, I want to try and do more podcasts over the next while so yeah me too so if you're listening let's do it yeah let's and do it up big for reals cool real peace real. out todd all right peace out joy mcgarry camelos british columbia canada <laughs> peace out todd mcgarry vancouver british columbia canada <laughs>